Plenty coming up in the next three hours on the show this morning, including who will run your local police force. You decide. Find out more in a bit. The family of Sir Jimmy Savile say they're disgusted by claims he sexually abused schoolgirls during the 1970s. Is it fair to make allegations after someone has died? And today marks the 30th anniversary of the compact disc. What was the first one you bought? Uh, You can get in touch lots of ways. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text starting 3CR to 81333. Or, let's be honest, this is the best way to do it. You can give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I'll tell you my uh, first CD, CD later on. You, if you've listened to any of the show, you can probably guess what it is. Uh, but uh, uh, very excitingly, I had a, f- a very exciting weekend. I have to go on this very quickly because otherwise I would feel bad if I didn't. Yeah, I saw the Beach Boys on Friday. That's kind of irrelevant because I saw a show on Sunday that was even better than the Beach Boys. When I saw Mr. Maker live. Now, to most of you, you're going, huh? Mr. Who? If you've got kids under the age of four then you will know who Mr. Maker is. Mr. Maker, basically, he's, he's Neil Buchanan or Tony Hart for the 21st century. He just goes around making stuff. And we saw him live, and then I got to meet him afterwards. And I don't know who was more excited, my two-and-a-half-year-old boy or me. I was over the moon. I couldn't believe it. Very exciting. Thank you, Mr. Maker. Anyway, lots on the show this morning, so let's get cracking, shall we? Next month, you have the chance to vote, to decide who runs your local police force. They'll be called Police and Crime Commissioners. Heard of them? No. Well, it turns out that not many people have. But they're going to have quite an important job. So our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, has put together this handy idiot's guide which should answer some of your questions. It's been described as the biggest shake-up of policing for 50 years. Police and crime commissioners will pick the chief constable, decide on the priorities for the force and help set the budget. But they won't be in charge of the police on the streets. That'll be left to experienced officers. Call the police. Hurry, hurry, won't you call the police? Quick, quick, quick. The Commissioner will listen to victims of crime when setting policy, and it's hoped this will give you a greater say in how your forces run. It replaces the current system of an authority made up of councillors and independents. So who's standing? Anyone's allowed, so long as you've not been convicted of a criminal offence that could have landed you a prison sentence. There's plenty of politicians from Labour and the Conservatives, whose idea it all is. The Lib Dems don't agree with it, but there are some of them standing, and a few smaller parties and independents. There have been complaints that it's too expensive to stand. Just to enter will cost you a whopping £5,000. That shouldn't be a problem for them once they've been elected. Salaries are expected to be between £65,000 and £100,000. But one problem is that not many people know what they are, or that there's an election coming in the first place. Last week, the Electoral Reform Society said these elections are in danger of turning into a farce. Turnout could be as low as 20%. The Home Secretary says there'll be a big campaign about it. There will be some work being done by the Home Office, obviously neutral in in terms of not referring to any candidates, but just about what the role is and what the elections are about. (laughs) 
That's the sound of the police. Will people bother to turn out for something they don't know much about? It doesn't mean they're not bothered about crime, just perhaps that they've never really thought about the way the police are run. They may have a view on a politician running their force, and that might be what's putting them off. That's the sound of the police. What? I like the way that uh, Paul has sexed that story up there by playing some banging tunes. Uh, you can find out all about, about all the candidates standing in our area on our website, bbc.co.uk forward slash three counties. And from six tonight, Roberto will be meeting all the candidates standing in Bedfordshire. Hear all their policies for the first time anywhere here on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm aware that these elections are taking place. And I'm kind of, got, sort of got my head around what it is um, the police and crime commissioners... Basically, they'll be in charge of the police in your area, pretty much. That's the, 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 the head honcho. But beyond that, <clears throat> I don't know what they're standing for, what they're different... Who, what, where, when, why. And 20% turnout for the election is, is, is pretty low. I suspect it might even be less than that. Would you really bother to go... Uh, and vote on choosing a police and crime commissioner? What they should do is they should put all of these elections on the same day. So you just go in, so everything, the council, the, your local MP, your police and crime, everything on the same day, so you can just turn up, spend a few minutes ticking different boxes. That would make more sense, wouldn't it? 08459 555. Yeah, today marks the 30th anniversary of the CD. We'll be talking about it a bit later on. I want you to try and have a think. What was the first CD you bought? Now, someone has tweeted me, I can't remember. And I guess that for youngsters, kids, uh, the, the CDs are all they've ever known. The, the, the first CD for me it was a momentous experience. <clears throat> I remember going into, uh, I think it may have been uh, Dixon's, to buy a CD. Uh, and it was the Beach Boys. It was uh, Friends 2020, two albums, one compact disc. It was eight ninety nine. I know that because it's still got the little prize sticker on uh, the front. And the reason it's so significant is that we didn't even have a CD player. We just bought a CD thinking, oh, maybe one day Mum will uh, treat us and we'll have a CD player in the house. And when she does, boy, oh, boy, am I going to be ready with a late 60s uh, Beach Boys album that's probably not one of their finest. So have a think. What was the first CD that you bought? And if you're, uh, I would guess, sort of like 40 or over, uh, it, it, it perhaps holds more significance uh, than it does for, for someone under that age. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Do you remember the CD singles as well? They were rubbish, weren't they? Do you remember them? That little, they were little three-inch uh, CDs uh, with the, that have the, the song on it, but then they'd have sort of two or three really pointless remixes of it. I had, for some reason, uh, I had uh, the Farms Groovy Train CD single. I know! I know! And it, it was an awful song, but at the time I remember thinking, yeah... This is it. Boy, oh boy, is music breaking new boundaries with the farm and uh, uh, groovy train. Uh, 81333. Start your text, 3CR, uh, or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. The first CD you bought. Um, what was it? Do you still have it? I still play mine quite regularly. In fact, I'm going to dig it out this afternoon. In fact, I'm going through a massive Beach Boys thing after seeing the Beach Boys on Friday night. That was a great concert. It was a great concert, but... I would suggest that they are perhaps all a little bit too old now. There was one of them, Bruce Johnston. It, he looked like he'd won a competition or something, or he just wandered on stage. It's some, one of the band's granddads had wandered on stage. It was all a little bit awkward. 6.15, Monday the 1st of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. 
With just a month to go before people across beds, hearts and bucks choose who runs their police force, it seems most of us are still in the dark. In a survey commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio, only one in six people knew anything about the elections for our new police and crime commissioners. Wickham Hospital in Buckinghamshire closes today. In its place will be a new minor injuries and illness unit. In sport, in rugby's premiership, Saracens won 18-16 at previously unbeaten Harlequins, with Owen Farrell kicking six penalties. And coming up, Wendover is apparently one of the best towns in the country to raise a family. That's according to a new survey. What's so great about Wendover? If you live there, could you give me a call and tell me, do you agree with this? Is Wendover a great place to bring up a family? Or do you think maybe it's a little bit dull? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Why on earth would you want to chat up a dentist or a hygienist? Have you seen what hygienists do? It's disgusting. I remember for years the Beatles CDs were like about six quid more than everyone else's CDs. If you went into HMV or our price or something, our price. Uh, they were well expensive. I don't think they are so much now. Beatles Day, uh, this Friday, the 5th of October, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the release of Love Me Do, the first single to be released by the Beatles in 1963, is Beatles Day. If you've got any Beatles story, and I don't care how tenuous they are, in fact, I like them, the, the more tenuous they are, the better, as far as I'm concerned. That may not be the official policy of BBC Three Counties Radio uh, on this, but it's, it's certainly my official policy. Could you send us an email? Put the subject heading Beatles Day uh, and send it to uh, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Let us know your Beatles story. The, the more tenuous ones, we'll have a little section on the show on Friday, I think, where the, the ones that are really, you know, maybe you walked past a picture of Paul McCartney once. Can we do that on Friday? We're going to have very tenuous Beatles connections on this show, as well as some like proper ones as well, don't worry. Uh, and Dean has tweeted me, Ian Lee, wish you were here. I thought they were being nice. I'm guessing that's the first CD they ever bought. I would like to think it was. <laughs> Thank you very much. Was, wasn't it summer, like three three days ago or something? What's happened to us? How do we get to autumn so quickly? Hey, do you live in Wendover? <clears throat> well, apparently, Wendover in Buckinghamshire has been named as one of the best towns in the UK to bring up children. If you live there, I'd love to get your uh, thoughts on this. Is it? Why is it so good? It's according to a survey released by Family Investments. What is so good about Wendover? Could you give me a call and let me know? 08459. Four double five, five double five. Uh, well, Katie Shute is a trainee architect. She grew up in the town. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. What's so good about Wendover? Oh, um, it's just a fantastic place to live. Really, um, yeah, everything about it's fantastic. It's um, really good for the outdoors. You've got the the Chiltern Hills so close by, and Wendover Woods. So you know, it's got parks and things as well. Um, it's just a really nice community. Has it got lots of nice little restaurants and good places to... I, it's been a long time since I've been to Wendover, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know if it's changed at all recently. Right, yeah, no, there's lots of restaurants and lots of pubs that do food as well. So I think it, that attracts people from other areas to come to Wendover. But Katie, I have to say, you don't live in Wendover anymore, do you? Why did you move away? <laughs> if it's so uh, good, Katie, if it's so fantastic, why did you leave? <laughs> I'm studying Oxford Brooks. So I'm living in Oxford at the moment, oh, okay. um, but I do like to pop back and see my family whenever I can. Do you, uh, do you, when you say pop back to see your family, is that just to take a load of washing for mum? 
No, no, not at all. No. Uh, yeah, of course. Of what course. was it like growing up there, though? Because uh, sometimes these lovely places that, are, that uh, we know are good for families and kids, actually, when you're a kid, they can be a little bit dull. Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I'd say it's a nice enough size that, you know, you know quite a few of the kids in the area because you probably all go to the same school with each other and, you know, it's, you can just cycle around to their house and, you know, go and play out in the park with them. And, yeah, but I think... Um, I loved it. The schools there were great as well. Yeah. So. I, I thought it was great as a kid. It's, what we're getting people, hopefully people are going to call in today and tell us why Wendover is so good, because it, the, the, the survey doesn't go into the specifics of why it's such an amazing place. If you had to pick one thing, Katie, that oh. made Wendover, I know the pressure's on now, I'm, I'm going to say this sentence very slowly so you've got time to think. One thing that uh, made, makes Wendover so good for families with young kids, what would it be? Um, I'd say probably the Chilton Hills. The Chilton Hills. You can't go wrong with a bit of Chilton Hills. No, I think so. Are you yeah. going to move back there when you finish college? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a great place to be. And uh, I know lots of people still there as well. So it's always nice to go back and walk down the high street and see a friendly face. And you're studying architecture? I am. How long yeah. does that take? Is that, I'm, I'm hoping it's a course that goes on for like five or six years. Yes. Good. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's seven years in total. Um, wow. And I'm in my last year studying at the moment. What, so. Is it? Sorry to go off on a, a slight tangent. I hope you'll indulge me. Is do you wait, as part of your training? Do you get to design a building that's going to be made? Um, not as part of your oh. uni training, but you have to be. You have to work in an actual practice. Yeah. And I, I worked at HFP Architects in Wendover. They're on Back Street. Yeah. And so yeah, I was designing things that were actually going to get made. Have you designed something that's been built? Yes. Have, yeah. See now, listen. You're an architect, so that's like, yeah, whatever. But to me, that's the coolest thing. And did you did you go in it and did you kind of walk around and take your mum and dad and go, you see this building? Yeah, I did this. <laughs> uh, I haven't quite taken my mum and dad, but um, no, yeah, it's quite cool seeing it on site. <laughs> I think it's very cool, Katie. Listen, thank you very much. Good luck. Thanks. Bye bye. If I was if I was an architect. I would spend all the time just leaning on buildings, and as people went in, go, yeah, you see this? Yeah, yeah, I did that. That door, yeah, that was my idea, to put that door there. If I hadn't designed it, decided to put a door there, you wouldn't be able to get into the building. I'd be doing that all the time. But I uh, go off on a slight tangent, and there's no need for that. Uh, Wendover, if you live there, can you give me a call and tell me why it's so good? Please. It's ye- years and years since I've been there. I think I drove through there recently, but I've, I've not been there for a while. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to have to go and have a look. I might go and have lunch there one day this week. Uh, 08459 455 555. Why is Wendover such a, a good place to bring up kids? And when you kind of move somewhere, I, I know this being a dad now, and we, we're thinking of moving at the moment. And when you move and you've got kids, when you haven't got kids, it's like, oh yeah, that looks nice, we'll go and live there. Oh, that's near, you know, some good pubs, we'll go and live there. But when you've got kids, suddenly the whole kind of area, is it near a park? Has it, what, the schools, how, what, what are the schools? Oh, they're only good, we want excellent. What things do you look for when you're moving? Oh eight four five nine. Four double five, five double five is the telephone number. We're also asking today on the thirtieth anniversary of uh, compact discs. Do you remember when they, they had a compact disc on? Uh, I think it was Tomorrow's World, and they smeared it with jam to show you that this thing would last forever. Uh, they don't. They, they don't last forever. If, if you've got a kid, or if you scratch one of those things, ay.
Thanks very much. Uh, but we're asking your first CD that you ever bought. Uh, Mr. Wolf says, um, uh, only one album I can make my first to buy on CD, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Can I be honest with you, dear listener? Pink Floyd, I don't, I don't get them. I find them very, very tedious. Wish You Were Here is, uh, is a nice song. Um, is that one of their songs? Now I've said it out loud. It doesn't sound right. Yeah, it's a nice song, but really? As a band? Come on, guys. You, you can do better than that. Uh, and we'll be talking later on. There's a, a documentary on, I think, Wednesday evening. Uh, where several people come forward and claim they were abused by uh, Jimmy Savile. Um, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. Uh, Nick in Hitchin has texted in, 81333, starting his text 3CR. Whoever it is who has made the allegations against the late Sir Jimmy is merely an attention-seeking an attention seeker trying to make a name for themselves against someone who can't defend themselves. Whoever it is should hang their head in shame don't give them a moment of airtime and they will shiver up, shrivel up like a worm and despair. Well, Nick, it's interesting that's your opinion. But what if these allegations are true? Then shouldn't they be allowed to come out and say them? Isn't that only fair? We'll be asking later on, is it fair to make allegations like this against someone who's died? Don't forget, you can get in touch about any of the stories we're talking about uh, this morning. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. Time now to get the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning to listener Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, you may have noticed, <clears throat> I'm getting a little bit of a, a, a throat. Oh dear, it's only, it, it's the beginning of week four and already he's collapsing. How terrible would that be? Uh, coming up on the show, we'll be talking about the Ryder Cup. We'll be talking about Jimmy Savile. And we'll also uh, be uh, discussing uh, Greg Rutherford. Uh, <coughs> And his victory parade that happened over the weekend. 08459 455 555. Also, it's about the police and the uh, crime commissioners. But first of all, how did this record sneak back into our playlist? Robbie Williams, Candy. I wouldn't say it was one of his best. And it's probably the last time you're going to hear it on The Breakfast Show. But apart from that, well done. Well done, Robbie. Excellent work there. Uh, good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, you may not know very much about the new police and crime commissioners in Beds, Hearts and Bucks. Well, you're not alone. It turns out that awareness about them is, is pretty low. Research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio from the University of Bedfordshire has revealed that of the 306 people surveyed, just 49 knew what they were, and only 50 knew about November's elections. I'm joined in the studio uh, now by students Sam Holden and Abby Henderson. Good morning. Morning. Hi. He says just remembering to turn the microphones on in time, which is always a bonus in these things. Uh, you were part of the team from the university that carried out the research. Sam, where did you carry out this snapshot survey? So we did. We had three different sites. Yep. We had a site in Luton, a site in Hemel Hempstead, and a site in Milton Keynes. Yep. Um, and at each site, we asked 102 people. Straight split, 51 male, 51 female, in three different age groups, uh, about these these upcoming elections. Can I ask, why 102 people? Is there a reason for that? Because you always see this on these surveys. We asked 276. Why, why not the straight 100? Wouldn't that make it easier to do the sums? I think people are suspicious when there's a round <laughs> number. So to make it look legit, we had to, you know, 102. Abby, what were the, the sort of headline findings? What were the main things that, 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 that came out? Um, not... 
no one was really aware of it at all. I mean, it was mainly the older generation yep. that did have awareness of it. We can say old people. They, they won't be offended. <laughs> they won't be offended. But um, even so, like, no one was really bothered, particularly with voting, because no one was aware of it. They didn't know what the new police commissioners were going to do. Mm. They felt that they didn't need to vote because they didn't necessarily agree with it. And Sam, did, you, you were saying before we came on air that, that they didn't even s- express much interest in it once you told them what was going on. No, that was that was the thing. We we thought that we'd have to answer quite a lot of questions about what police and crime commissioners would be and doing. You studied up on it, so you could you could answer these questions. Oh yeah, I swatted up <laughs> uh, well like done. like a student uh, ten minutes before we did it. Uh, no, we kn- we knew we we had a briefing and we we knew quite a lot about it and we were expecting to have to kind of impart this knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but no one was that interested, really. Um, you know, even there was a few people that asked about it, but m- most people just weren't that interested in what it was. I think they were they they treated it as if it was going to be just another kind of harebrained scheme. Those aged eighteen to thirty, Abby, had the lowest awareness. Yes, uh, uh, d- d- I guess we could kind of expect that. Really, did you? How much did you know personally about the PCCs before you undertook this work? Well, I mean, we'd been obviously learning it because. Obviously, I study yeah. along those lines. But before that, I, I would have had no idea. If I didn't study the course that I do, I'd have had absolutely no idea either. So it's kind of understandable. Well, someone's, something's gone wrong then somewhere, hasn't it? If no one knows about these elections, and then when they do know about these elections, they're like, yeah, whatever, then s- something's gone wrong somewhere, hasn't it? Yeah, I think I think the problem is is uh, even, even the people that... Uh, you know, we, we'd asked them what they thought a commissioner did. The normal answer was probably not a lot. I think ve- people are very, uh, people are always very sceptical of change, uh, but people just don't seem that interested. They're not engaging in, in what's going on. Well, we'll be talking about it all morning, something that no one's interested in. <laughs> so no, we've got, listen, thank you very much, Sam Holden and Abby Henderson. Uh, and you can find out about all of the candidates uh, standing in our uh, area on our website, bbc.co.uk, three counties. And from six tonight, Roberto will be meeting all the candidates standing in Bedfordshire. You can hear all their policies for the first time anywhere here on BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to give us a call this morning, 08459 455 555. Now, over the weekend, you may have heard about the allegations made against Sir Jimmy Savile in the documentary being broadcast this week, several women have made claims they were sexually abused by the TV presenter. Exposure, the other side of Jimmy Savile, will be broadcast on ITV1 on Wednesday. The Childline founder, Esther Ranson, says she believes the evidence. I had absolutely decided that I would not make up my mind because he's not here to defend himself. But I must say, what these women say is so matter-of-fact. They corroborate each other. The style of the abuse and the attack on them was absolutely consistent one with each other. I'm afraid the jury isn't out anymore. In a statement, the BBC said no evidence of allegations on its premises had been found. The former controller of Radio 1, Johnny Beerling, was at the station from its start in 1967 and worked alongside Jimmy Savile for 19 years. I worked with the man on and off for a number of years. Uh, I never saw any sign of it. To me... Yeah, he was a great guy. I went to his funeral up here, and if you saw the the following that he had up here in Leeds, I live in Skipton up in the north of England, the man is a hero, and I can't think that he would have been a hero if there were sort of things like that floating around in his background. Well, a close friend of Sir Jimmy's, Howard Silverman, said the presenter would be disappointed by the claims. He hated anything like this. 
Yes, we'd go out, and probably quite a few of the girls were a, a bit younger, but none of them were underage. In fact, we'd run away in a million years. You know, you just wouldn't do that. It wasn't Jimmy that, and it really gets to me. Well, Roger Foster, Sir Jimmy's nephew, said his family is disgusted and disappointed that the allegations are being made when Sir Jimmy is no longer around to defend himself. What do you think? I don't particularly want to go into the specifics of Jimmy Savile, uh, but I'm kind of interested. Is it right to make allegations after someone's died? Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Ken is in Sandy. And Ken, you're furious. I'm absolutely furious, yes, because I knew... Uh, Jimmy, personally, because I was coordinator of his fundraising team. So, I worked with him for three years. So you must have met him quite a few times. I did. I met him for three years, nearly every other week, where he would collect checks from people who wanted to see the spinal unit come up and, and be there. And how the money came about was that in Sandy, our headquarters were at Four Pims Way. We had a photocopying machine and we sent let we used a Williams guide and sent letters to every paper in the company in the country and every school yeah people flock to okay listen no one no one is in any way denying that he raised an enormous amount of money for charity but have you considered the possibility now i haven't seen this documentary from what i can tell i think there are three or four women who've all come forward and have all got uh, they weren't paid for their interviews and they've all got very similar stories well i don't believe it have you considered for a second Mm? that it might be true i don't think it will be true at all what makes you so sure because I know where he was a Catholic anyhow. Well, <laughs> I'll stop you there. That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything, Ken. Uh, well, I, I feel that I knew him. Okay. And uh, he's very highly respected, and I don't think he would do anything like okay. that. You're currently campaigning, aren't you, to get a brick removed from a That's shop right. well, in Jimmy's honour? What, what's this about? Well, I lost the battle. What happened was... Um, we made. We had so many bricks made, and they were. Uh, Why did you have bricks made? I'm slightly. Did, fill me in on the whole story. Around the sticker brick appeal, where people could send, could have like a stamp and stick it on a chart, and that's what we sent to schools. And what we tried to do is raise enough money for 145,000 bricks for the spinal unit. Right. That's how the brick got involved. What brick? Is, I don't know what brick you're talking about, Ken. Now the brick. Now the brick. The brick that was made was it. Was, it was a year of the disabled. Someone approached me and said we'd like to make some special bricks for the Jimmy Savile appeal, yes. and they made a lot of money by doing that. And companies and organisations bought the bricks, paid a hundred pounds or yep. more for them, and put them in their buildings. Right. So there's a brick that Jimmy Savile made. It's in a building somewhere. And you, it, what what kind of shop is it? It's, it, it, it's in a section in Tempsford, and it's in my house, in my front, in front of my house, my extension. Okay. Uh, Ken, I got slightly confused by that story, but listen, thank you very much for coming on and defending Sir Jimmy. Well, he was absolutely a brilliant man. There we go. Thank you very much. Ken in Sandy. I, I got a little bit confused with the story about the brick there, brick in a sex shop in, in the front of his house, but I think we got the main thrust that Ken thinks is outrageous to make allegations uh, against someone who's no longer here to defend themselves. What do you think? 6.45, Monday the 1st of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Europe's golfers produced a stunning final day comeback to win the Ryder Cup at Medina uh, Country Club. 
a month before elections to decide the new police commissioners for beds, hearts and bucks. Research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio has found that just one in six of us know anything we know uh, anything about it. In sport, in rugby's premiership, Saracens won 18-16 at previously unbeaten Harlequins with Owen Farrell kicking six penalties. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. It's a cloudy morning with outbreaks of rain, gradually becoming dry by the afternoon. Top temperature is 17 degrees. Coming up, find out more about the new minor injuries and illness new unit that opens at Wickham Hospital today. It sounds good, but there's a lot more to it. BBC Three Counties Radio. Do you live in Wendover? Apparently, it's one of the greatest places in the country to raise a family. I'd love to know why. I'd also like to speak to you if you disagree with that. You go, well, actually, there's not really a lot here. Uh, Diane's in Bletchley. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. Do you live in Wendover? I don't know. No, oh. I went to school there. Everybody everybody seems to be moving out of Wendover. What's wrong with the place? Um, I can only think the traffic. That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> there isn't a, a bypass that people use. Well, there, there is now. There is one now, isn't there? But um, we did used to get lorries going through it. So, so you grew you grew up there? I, I, I was born in Western Terrell, but I went to school in Wendover. Right. And my ten cousins in Wendover, um, they all went to school there, and they still actually live in Wendover. What, was, what was so great about um, going to school in that area? Well, the schools are uh, excellent. My two children went to the primary school there. Um, my daughter went on to John Collett there. Mm. And um, my son went to grammar school in Ellsbury, but my daughters ended up a chartered accountant in London, and my son uh, hasn't done so well. Oh, what, why, <laughs> um, why not? What's your son doing? Um, he, he's working, but uh, he doesn't seem to have the enthusiasm that my daughter mm. has. Um, my it... daughter could have gone to grammar, but she was advised to go to John Collett. Is he, is he happy, though, Diane? Is my son happy? Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. Well, then that's all you, that, as a parent, that's oh, all you can ask yeah. for, isn't it? He may not have the, the sparkling career that your daughter's oh, he's, got, but... he's very intelligent, too intelligent, but my daughter was encouraged so much yes. at John Collett, whereas you're not so much at grammar school. You never do, you never do well enough, but John Collett was excellent. I went there, I wasn't intelligent, but we, we've all done well for ourselves. Well, then, Diane, there you go, fantastic. Diane in Bletchley, though, I feel I know all about her family... Uh, history. We've, no one from Wen- who lives in Wendover and has stayed in Wendover has, has got in touch with us yet. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We need to find someone who lives in Wendover, thinks it's great, and is staying in Wendover. Everyone seems to move out. It's not particularly the best advert for it, is it? Also, what was the first CD you ever bought? Oh eight four five nine four double five. Five double five. We, we have clarity on the Jimmy Savile sex shop brick. We have clarity. If you were listening in the last ten minutes, we had, um, I think it was Ken, uh, who I think may have been a little bit nervous about being on the radio and got a little bit flustered with the story about a brick that he's trying to say. Basically, there was a campaign years ago where people could put, pay for bricks and get bricks put in buildings, and Jimmy Savile paid for a brick, and it got put into a cafe, and then at some point the cafe turned into a naughty, naughty shop that sells naughty, naughty things. And Ken's campaign is to try and get that brick out of the naughty shop. Now, how you go about getting a brick out of a shop like that, I, I have no idea, um, but that, that's what that was. So, so Jimmy Savile did not put a brick in uh, an adult shop. It, it was a cafe, uh, and then it became 
said adult shop. I hope we have cleared that up for you. I, I really do. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to uh, give us a call now. A new minor injuries and illness unit opens at Wickham Hospital today, but it comes at a cost. The emergency medical centre will close instead. Now, shutting down departments always has a knock-on effect on local patients. A family who knows exactly how that feels is the Debonairs. Since Royston Hospital is no longer open, Graham's ill father was initially sent to Addenbrooke's in Cambridgeshire for treatment, but has now been moved to Welling Garden City. Despite the Queen Memorial being in the same county, it's actually much further away from the family home, as he explains to our reporter, Serena Farrow. Addenbrookes is around about 22, 24 mile round trip, which we were doing for around about five and a half months whilst my father was in hospital. And it's a lot easier to get to. So actually, the arrangements for visiting have become an awful lot harder. I go on my own once a week. I take my mother once a week. My brother goes there twice a week. So the round trip is around about 50, 55 miles the costs are around about 100 pounds a week to visit wow and uh, well not to mention your time that involved yeah absolutely and it's it's quite difficult to actually organize things for example my brother instead of being able to pop in after work he's having to break a train journey up from london take a taxi to the hospital to visit my father in the evenings so there's absolutely no way he could live at home though is there my dad had a fall about six months ago broke some vertebrae in his neck and since then he's also developed um, problems actually eating and drinking and he's being fed through the a peg into his stomach because my dad's 91 my mother's 81 and very unsteady on her feet and doesn't feel that she can actually provide the level of care that's required at home for him but we're having a meeting and it sounds like they just want to issue him from the hospital within six weeks so he's got two more weeks in the hospital and then he's going to be released back into the home we have no idea what the care facilities are going to be well we're hoping that care facilities will come to the home part of the trouble with having a hospital this far away is the staff within the hospital don't understand what the local facilities are in royston they're working in the in the dark as well really they're not set up for it for example my dad needed a a chiropractor whilst he was in the uh, hospital and we were told they couldn't get hold of a local one, perhaps we could send our local chiropractor to him, which is just ridiculous. You're not going to get a chiropractor who's going to go out and do a 50-mile round trip to do a visit. So they're not set up for the fact that they're trying to support people who live in Royston. I know it's a while since Royston closed, but even so, Addenbrooke's just down the road, but if you had one here, your life would be so much easier. It wouldn't just be easier for us. What I'm more worried about is the fact that even though we are managing to get in five shortish visits per week, I can see the difference that it's having on my dad mentally because he's not getting the stimulation that he requires and so therefore that's a big concern and obviously were he to be local we would pop in um, once or twice a day and it would be not only easier for us but so much better for my father in terms of the level of care. That's a reporter Serena Farrow speaking to Graham Debonez uh, about the impact the transfer from Addenbrooke's to Welling Garden City has had on him and his uh, family. Uh, we've been asking for your first CD. What's the first CD? It's the 30th birthday of Compact Discs. My first CD was Roxette. Look sharp, Catherine. Roxette. Oh, my God. And David in Marsh Farm, my first CD was the best of BBC TV themes. How do I know? I used to mark them with Tipex. The sixth one was Fairground Attraction. Well, this takes off into a whole different tangent, doesn't it? What, what have you written on records or CDs? 
Now, this Friday is Beatles Day across the BBC, and uh, on the day itself, we're wanting to hear your Fab Four memories. If you ever saw them perform, you ever met them, do get in touch. On this show, I'd like to do a little tenuous Beatles link section, if we can. So if you, the, the te- most tenuous connection to the Beatles will get read out on this show. Um, it will BBC Introducing has also got involved with Beatles Day. And today we're going to play From Me To You, which was released by the Beatles in 63, but this is a cover version by Ghostly Dancers from Bedford. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up. I want to find someone who lives in Wendover and loves it. You all seem to have moved out. Here's the news with Catherine. Suddenly it's seven o'clock. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here until nine. Plenty of stuff coming up in the next couple of hours, including Europe's golfers have staged one of the greatest comebacks in sporting history to retain the Ryder Cup. I'm asking, when have you beaten the odds? And also, why on earth is our reporter Justin Dealey at a pub in Bedford? Well, Ian, I'm not the only one, it's got to be said. I'm also here with MP Richard Fuller, the Bedford MP. Oh, I'd say it's good first thing in the morning. You'll find out exactly why I'm here uh, before 7.15. I I, I just don't understand it. And there is a ban on clamping on private land which is being brought into force today. How much sympathy do you have for people who flout the parking rules? If you want to give us a call about this or any of the things we're talking about, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, in golf, Europe produced a sensational last day comeback, apparently, to retain... I must be the only person that didn't see this. To retain the Ryder Cup, beating the United States by 14.5 points to 13.5 at Medina yesterday. The Americans were leading 10-6 going into the 12 singles matches, with Europe winning eight including victories for Woburn's Ian Poulter and High Wycombe's Luke Donald. This was the crucial moment the team drew level to retain the trophy. It's come down to this. Five feet. Martin Keimer on the 18th green at Medina. Sends it on its way. And in! And in! And the cup is safely in European hands. And he leaps into the arms of his captain. And he's lifted aloft. Martin Keimer's the hero. And Europe have retained the cup. Well, Ken West has been a member of Hazelmere Golf Club since it opened 30 years ago. He's a past captain and used to play against Luke Donald as a junior. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. How Ken, are you? Ken, I have to lay my cards on the table. I, I know nothing about golf. And if I'm honest, and don't judge me, I find golf a little bit dull. No, I can't believe that. <laughs> golf is never dull, no matter where it's played. Well, apparently last night was very, very exciting. What, what, why is this so important, Ken? I'm an idiot. Talk to me as though I won. Why is this such a big deal? Well, I think the Ryder Cup is the biggest event in golf. Yep. Um, the, the majors are very exciting, but everyone looks forward to the Ryder Cup. It's a case of it's not an individual competition. It is a team competition, and that makes a great deal of difference. And it is more difficult to play a team competition than it is an individual competition because if you play an individual you've only got yourself to blame if you don't do well but with a team you've got the rest of the team relying on you mm. and that makes a lot more pressure on you but it is still great fun it was I, i've looked at the stats it was an amazing uh, fight back by europe did you think they could do it or had you written them off to be absolutely honest with you i didn't think they could do it yeah. i mean i know we've got a great team but the americans have been playing so well up till then i really didn't didn't think that we could win eight of the 12 single events. 
Was there a key moment yesterday when it, it, things kind of turned round into Europe's favour? Well, I don't think there was any specific single moment. It gradually built up to a crescendo. I mean, you know, Luke Donald went out first and he won his competition, which was an extremely difficult competition because, you know, as the first person out, you needed to get the points on on the table there. He was playing against Bubba Watson, who was an extremely long hitter. He hits the ball a long way, and that is daunting if you're playing against him, but he kept his head and played coolly, and then gradually, each person behind him gradually came in, and they did their part, and won their particular competition. So it built up to a crescendo, and the last few teams were out there where it was very close because the last two teams were actually um, the matches were all square, I think about two or three holes out, and we need you one point. So they've got to a real high at the end. Ken, last week on the show, we played a clip of the, I think it was the American captain, who seemed like a rather unpleasant fellow, who said that he was going to go out there and beat everyone's brains in and, uh, and psych them out. Is it possible to psych out other players when you're on the... Is it there a big psychological battle going on when you're playing against someone? Yes, I, I think there is. Um, and some of the competitions um, turn to get really nasty at times. But I must be honest, yesterday I thought the crowd were very good. I thought the teams were very good in themselves. I mean, if, you, if you'd had or watched it, um, at one stage when Luke... Uh, had won his point and um, the crowd were cheering and the, his opponent was about to take a part. He actually helped quieten the crowd down and that occurred more than once mm. in that competition which I think is really good sportsmanship. The Americans must be gutted though. How are they going to oh, handle this defeat? No. It, it, it must be terrible for them because it's bad <laughs> you, said, you, said, <laughs> you sounded so sincere when you said that, Ken. Oh, it well, must it be is, terrible you know, for them. <laughs> if, if you lose a competition, it's bad. Yep. But when you lose from such a lead, yep. um, it's difficult to live with, quite honestly. Okay, fine question ken and it is an impossible question but i want an answer from you Certainly. can you pick one player from the european team that stood out for you luke donald really <laughs> he's your mate <laughs> isn't he? he's your buddy <laughs> I, I might be biased but <laughs> if you ask me second then it's got to be ian polter uh ken well listen enjoy the celebrations thank you very much for coming on and and uh, not hating me because i don't like golf <laughs> it's my pleasure thank you ken there we go it's uh, ken west who's a member of the hazelmere golf club uh, has been since it opened 30 years ago and he's mates with luke donald so of course he's going to pick him as his favorite oh eight four five nine four double five five double five um you can text as well eight one three double three start your text three cr we've been mentioning uh, there is a documentary on itv i think on wednesday where people several women come forward and make claims <clears throat> that jimmy savile uh, uh, sexually abused them when they were young girls Rhea's texted him uh this rubbish about jimmy savile if he abused these girls why not say something when he was alive that way he would have had the chance to defend himself and prove his innocence or he could have been proven guilty and punished I think these women are in it for the money, personally. doesn't take long for people to latch onto stories and use it to their advantage. Well, it, it has to be said that I, I believe that none of these women were paid to be in this documentary. That no money has exchanged hands. I think. I could be wrong on that. And if someone knows differently, then, uh, then do let me know. I am curious. Uh, is it acceptable to make these allegations about someone once they've died? But if these things happen, then they should be able to... I don't know. It's a, it's a long story. Coming up, we'll be talking to the chairman of the steering group. Uh, they set up a memorial to Jimmy Savile in Scarborough. Now, you may have noticed that there are fewer pubs where you live in beds, hearts and bucks. Well, since the start of the year, an average of 12 pubs have closed every week 
in the country. Twelve pubs every week. That's according to the British Beer and Pub Association, the all-party parliamentary beer group to protect the great British institution that is the pub, was launched last year. Today, Richard Fuller, MP for, M- uh, MP for Bedford and Kempston, will be pulling pints at the embankment in Bedford. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is there. Morning, Justin. Oh, Justin, where are you? Oh, we seem to have lost Justin Dealey. I, I suspect, and I don't want to cast uh, any aspersions about, uh, about Justin, but he's in a pub. It's ten past seven in the morning. Who knows what could have gone wrong? Justin does get all of the best gigs, by the way. He was in a greasy spoon last week. He was somewhere, it was somewhere else delicious the week before. Well, we will we'll do our best to get Justin back. But I, <laughs> I'll be honest. Is he there, Justin? Are you there? No. Yeah, Justin! Oh, you're very, very quiet. I don't quite know why. Well, I'm in the pub, that's why. That would be why. Listen, Justin, we're going to work on you because I can't hear you very well. While we're trying to find Justin Dealey, he's probably locked in the loo or something. We'll have a quick look at the front page of the newspapers, shall we? I'll get a thumbs up when we have, uh, we have Justin back, or we may come to him a little bit later on. The Daily Telegraph. Secret police probe into Labour MPs £500,000. Apparently Keith Vaz. Um, there may be money in his accounts uh, and there's also a picture of uh, Rory McElroy. McElroy. I can never say his name there's a letter missing from his name surely celebrating uh, the, uh, the Ryder Cup victory that we spoke about just then oh the Guardian have stopped giving away kids CDs I was loving that last week we'll talk about that in a second mm, Justin yeah, come to me now okay Justin All right, <laughs> Justin Hello, Ian. Can you hear me, Okay. Yeah, we just heard you taking a phone call from your... (laughs) What on earth is going on there this morning, man? Pull yourself together. I know you're excited, but get a grip. It's what's called the technicals of the radio car in Bedford. (laughs) Go on, what have you got for us? When you get behind the bar, well, uh, yeah, as you say, it's um, it's a special day today because Richard Fuller, the MP for Bedford, he's going to be behind the bar here at the embankment. We'll talk to the manager in just a second. But, uh, Richard, what exactly is an MP doing in a pub at 7 o'clock in the morning? Tell us more. Yeah, that that might cause some concern to uh, the good people of Bedford and Kempton know their MPs in a pub on, uh, on uh, 7 o'clock on a Monday morning. But I'm here because I wanted to draw attention to the invaluable role that pubs play in our local community through their charitable endeavours and through providing a community place for people to turn up and enjoy and to socialise, but also to highlight some of the challenges that some of our pubs are facing. Challenges in terms of tax increases year on year and also challenges that led to some pubs closing, like the Burden Hand pub recently in Brickhill. We're going to be speaking to the manager in just a second, but um, just lastly to you, just how important do you think the local pub still is? I think it's invaluable. I think if I look at the lots of stuff in terms of charities and how they raise money, they go to their local pub, local landlords, and the landlords are always very willing to reach out and do something to help um, some of the causes in Bedford, some of which are quite challenged at the moment because we're going through difficult times. So I think they're valuable. They're also important in tackling isolation. You know, with... with um, alcohol price so low in supermarkets a lot of people go stock up on alcohol go home and drink on their own that's not a healthy outcome for people we need to increase prices on alcohol in supermarkets and actually get people into pubs because actually it's the best place to have a drink and to socialize you might get lots of grief being here today behind the bar 12 until 2 whilst you're pulling that pine what about my tree around the corner is that going to be repaired so you might be in for some grief i'm I'm up for that come along (laughs) lunchtime today 12 till 2 let's pull a pint and have a chat bless you and a quick question as well to andrew crowther you're the manager here You've got a fantastic location on the embankment, but even with a location like this, you're still struggling, aren't you? Yeah, we've faced lots of challenges this summer due to the weather, um, and we're facing lots of challenges also due to the uh, tax increases. We've increased, uh, our beer prices have increased over by 40% since 2008. And in 15 seconds, obviously we're losing 12 pubs a week. It's um, a quick answer, but in a nutshell, what do you think needs to be done to, to protect pubs moving forward? 
I think um, the cheap alcohol in supermarkets is one of the things that contributes people, a lot more people staying in. We would like people to come out to the pub, support the pub, um, and we've got a great community pub here in Bedford, um, being the embankment, and we want the people to come along and support us. Terrific stuff. Thanks for your time, guys. So there you go. Uh, we had a few problems to start with behind the bar, but outside the pub, we seem to be okay. And there you had uh, the MP, Richard Fuller, and Andrew, the manager here of the pub, the embankment in Bedford. So come and see Richard today. He's here really to try and find out a bit more about how pubs are have been struggling, but the idea, of course, is to save the British boozer. Good morning, it's 7.16, it's Monday the 1st of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Europe's golfers have held on to the Ryder Cup with one of the greatest victories in the 85-year-old competition. Research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio suggests that five out of six of us haven't got a clue we'll have the chance to elect a set of brand new police commissioners next month. In sport... As England's cricketers prepare to play a vital match against host Sri Lanka in the World 2020 today, it appears Kevin Peterson is about to be welcomed back into the England fold. And coming up, have you got your hats and whistles? We'll be finding out about a party in Manchester today. Yeah, it's the Labour Party. Today is the first full day of their annual conference, but they admit they've still got some way to go to regain public support. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, over the weekend, you may have heard about the allegations made against Sir Jimmy Savile. In a documentary being broadcast this week, several women have come forward and made claims they were sexually abused by the TV presenter. Exposure, the other side of Jimmy Savile, will be broadcast on ITV1 on Wednesday. The family of the Jim Will Fix It star say they are disgusted by the claims. Well, David Jessels is organising a memorial for Jimmy and says he can't believe it. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ian. What did you... Very quickly, whereabouts is this the, the memorial for and what, what is it going to be? Well, briefly, what it, what it is, um, Jimmy spent a great deal of his life in Scarborough. Uh, he had a flat here uh, and, in actual fact, he is buried uh, in the town cemetery. Mm. Um, so and he has had a long association with the town and Scarborough holds him in, in very great uh, great, great affection and has done for for very many years so much so that the borough council um uh, did make him a freeman of the borough did you know jimmy personally yes i did yes yeah what i'm a you... member of the i'm a member of the borough council and, yeah. and leading the steering group that's hoping to to uh, provide a memorial to him David, what did you make when you, you first heard these allegations? Did you hear, hear them at the weekend? As, as I did indeed, yes. Um, I was very saddened by them. But, of course, they are just that. They are yeah. allegations. Because, sadly, there's nobody uh, around to be able to, to refute them or, or comment on them from, from Jimmy's point of view. What's your gut feeling, David? Um, I don't know. I, it, I can't help but wonder why people have come forward with these allegations after all this time. I mean, bearing in mind that we're told that they happened way back in the 70s, um, why didn't somebody come forward and, uh, and, and say, say about them? What, what's the motivation in, in, in this? Is it money or uh, is, is there other, some other reason? I think it's, it's very sad. I mean, he was a tremendously popular person, mm. not just in Scarborough, but, um, but nationwide as well. I mean, he, he raised over £40 million for charity. Uh, and I know in Scarborough, he could charm uh, everybody off the, uh, off the, off the trees. He was, he was a wonderful fellow. When you get him along to a coffee morning, he would open anything. Um, he was such a larger-than-life personality and uh, a very much-loved man. Oh, he wasn't. He, 
ra- he raised an enormous amount for charity and the £40 million is not to be uh, sniffed at. I, I guess one, one possible angle on this and why they've, they're, they're coming out now is, um, the, the, obviously, if, if there has been abuse, and I don't know one way or the other, I've not seen the programme, I don't know, I'm, I'm just forwarding this. If there has been abuse, uh, there is often a lot of guilt and shame and fear around it, isn't there, from, from the victims? And perhaps, perhaps that's why, if this is true, they've waited s- until he's passed away. Yes, that, that, could, that could well be the case. And, of course, these days, um, it, it's much more... People feel much happier um, or much more relaxed about coming out and speaking about this kind of thing than they probably would have done in the 70s, mm. particularly when he was at the height of his career because they probably thought that he would, they wouldn't have been believed. David, finally, do you think that, that these allegations will take anything away from the memorial that you're, you're, you're setting up? I hope it doesn't. Um, just how long they're, they, they, they are going to rumble on, I don't know. But we're hoping to raise a considerable amount of money um, to honour somebody who, certainly in Scarborough, was held in very high regard. David, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. There he goes, David Jessel's there. And um, Interesting. The, the, I, we can't really talk about the specifics of Jimmy Savile because we don't know. I haven't seen the programme and we don't know. I know a lot of you are furious that these allegations are being made. Uh, and I guess the question is, is it fair to make allegations after someone's died? Because it is going to be, by definition, quite one-sided, isn't it? The other person isn't there to d- d- defend himself or refute. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Now, it's the first full day of Labour's annual conference in Manchester today. Uh, the party is ahead in the opinion polls at the halfway stage of the Parliament. And two years into his leadership, it would appear that Ed Miliband's position is safe. But the party admits it's still got some way to go to regain enough public support if it's to win outright at the next election. Well, Andrew Pakes is the prospective Labour MP for Milton Keynes South. He joins us from the GMEX Centre in Manchester. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Ian. Uh, now, the, the, Manchester. Yeah, well, it's, it's slightly grey all over the place, <laughs> so don't worry about that. The Shadow Chancellor, Ed Balls, is going to be speaking today. What messages do you want to hear? Uh, I want to hear some really strong messages from Ed Balls. The, he gets the uh, state of the economy in, in our area, particularly somewhere like Milton Keynes. You know, we're built on lots of small businesses. We've got some big companies coming to the city. Um, but what I hear on the doorstep in community meetings and from meeting business leaders is that uh, they still haven't got the certainty. Uh, in the economy, the banks still aren't lending to them, and for families, life's still tough with the, you know, the squeeze going on. One of the big messages Ed Balls is going to be talking about today is that how we can leverage in some of the extra money from the sale of the 4G spectrum to actually get houses built again. Uh, and I know in Milton Keynes, Luton, and across the region giving a break for first-time buyers to get the housing market going again is a huge issue for us. Now, Ed Balls got heckled, of course, by uh, the TUC conference for saying that Labour will have to make cuts if elected. Labour Party don't seem to be offering anything different from the Conservatives. Well, I think halfway through this Parliament, people are beginning to question why they voted for David Cameron, and we know they did very strongly in our area. You know, in 2010, David Cameron went into that election uh, promising change, but since then, we've gone back into a double-dip recession, borrowing's gone up, not down, and we've seen tax cuts for millionaires rather than ordinary working people in in places like Milton Keynes. Uh, And I think the messages we're trying to do is to say that, look, we understand why we lost the last election, we lost touch with the grassroots, we took our eye off the ball, uh, and we're slowly beginning to build that back. The opinion polls are looking good. But um, what are you going to do that's different, Andrew? What what are you offering that's different? Uh, We've 
everyone understands the economy is in a very tough place. So what we need to ensure is that the money we are using as government gives us real value for money in the way that people want. So already this week, we've seen Ed Miliband give a very strong message to the banks. They need to clean up their act, otherwise the government will take uh, action. Uh, we've said that uh, unless the pension firms, pension companies clean up their act, we will put a cap on how much charges they can do. And things like energy bills, now we're getting into the cold part of the year, we've said that you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's morally wrong that the uh, price of energy is going down for the big companies, but our energy bills are going up. So actually, small things that can help families and help businesses is where we are at the moment. The lessons in the last few years are there's no but, big fixes. And, but Andrew, this, these are, I mean, these are tiny, tiny things. It, 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 putting people over 75 on cheaper electricity, it's not going to kickstart the economy, is it? It's not really going to make a massive difference to many people. Um, I think all of this really helps. We're seeing with you know rising costs, uh, living costs, the economy stagnating, people struggling with wages. The big issues I think the country's facing and our area is facing is kickstarting the economy. You know, even but you're not telling me how you're going to do that, Andrew. This is what I'm, I'm confused at. There's n- you've not given me a suggestion on how you're going to how you're actually going to do that. Yeah, th- if the banks don't behave well, then punish them. Fantastic. That, sh- that that makes common sense. But how are you how are you going to help? ordinary people. Brilliant. Let me give you a couple of examples then. On the banks, I think it is important because one of the, the real issues that businesses are telling me about the banks is that they're not lending, particularly to small businesses. Yep. We've said we place at banks like RBS, which the government partly owns. We will tell them and instruct them they've got to stop speculating on the international markets and actually start lending to small businesses. We have a direct control of the government over that and sadly, the government we've got at the moment doesn't want to give them those instructions. Those 100,000 houses, Ed Balls has said that without much money... The government can't spend a lot more, but if we are going to sell off the 4G spectrum, the money that brings in should be used to get the construction industry going again. If we get houses built, then that puts money in the pockets of the builders, it gives an opportunity for young people, and it kick-starts the economy again. Uh, Andrew, and, and finally, on a social note, what ha- I've been to conferences a few years ago, uh, and basically in the evenings, everyone got boozed up and copped off with each other. Is that still de rigueur? Oh, I think I'm not sure we're quite copping off with each other, but I think we are having good discussion late into the <laughs> late into the evening. We are we are good friends, but I think uh, we're all just there's, having a good time. There's a euphemism. We're having good discussion <laughs> late into the evening. Andrew, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks very much. There we go. Andrew Pakes there, um, enjoying good discussion late into the evening. Prospective Labour MP for Milton Keynes uh, South. If you've ever been to these these conferences, I went to one years and years ago. Uh, we got booted out of one in the end, for, for whatever reason. <laughs> we did. Was it the Lib Dem one that booted us out? I think maybe. Um, uh, but basically, the, the evening is just, it, it's, it's just, well, like, orgy is perhaps too strong a word, but there's lots of fun things happening. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Plenty coming up in the next half hour, including it's stop. What is it? Stoptober? Is that the made-up word they've got to help you stop smoking? Uh, we'll be talking football uh, and Jimmy Savile as well. But before all of that, uh, a ban on clamping on private land has been brought into force today. It's one of a raft of new measures in the Protection of Freedoms Act. It also prohibits towing away from private land and brings in a new independent appeal service. Well, uh, Patrick Troy is from the British Parking Association and joins me now. Morning, Patrick. Good morning to you. What will these changes mean to the average person? Well, to the average person, as you say, clamping, towing away on private land is banned from from today. 
Um, there's a little funny little um, sentence in the legislation which says, unless you have lawful authority. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a bit confusing because it means that uh, in certain circumstances, some organisations and some types of land um, can continue to clamp and remove. Um, the organisations that can are the ones perhaps you'd expect, the police, the local authorities, DVLA. Um, but it's the land which is more confusing. Um, so land like uh, owned by railway companies, uh, ports and harbour authorities, uh, some air- some land at and car parks at airports will be exempt from this. So there will be some clamping and removal still, but the vast majority of it will be banned f- from today. So let me get this right. There's a block of flats near me. They've got a big yellow sign on the wall saying, if you park here uh, and you don't belong here, you'll be clamped. They mm. can't clamp me anymore. They can't clamp you anymore. No, what they can do is they can ticket you. Oh, and yes, I'm afraid so. You, so. Sorry, all right, so it's not the open season on parking then. I'm you can still get in trouble. Of course, how, uh, housing estates, car parks around housing estates are a good example of where this legislation might cause some problems because um, sometimes, you know, if it's your your car park space that's being abused, you want to take the, the most action you can. But what you'll be able to do from today uh, is issue tickets. The legislation makes it a bit, e- bit easier to issue tickets. But yeah. most importantly, it provides you with, an, for the first time on private land, an independent appeals service. It means that if you get a ticket and you write to the person who's issued it and they say you have to pay it, you can go on to an, a, a, another uh, appeal service, which is independent of anybody. It's free to the motorist. Um, and you can get redressed that way. So because a, a lot of these tickets that are issued, the so, I mean, how many? How many are issued? No, I don't know, but uh, but a lot of them are that, that are issued. That you don't. Am I right in thinking that actually they're not legally enforceable? No, they are legally enforceable, right. and um, they, they were before today. But um, today they are given some legitimacy uh, okay. that way by by the Protection of Freedoms Act. Um, it places a responsibility for the first time on the keeper to identify the driver. That's new. Um, but yes, they are legal. Um, obviously, operators who issue them will ultimately take you to court if you don't pay them. But that's why it's important to have the appeals service in place, so that before you talk about anything related to court hearings, yeah. you have your, your, your day with the appeals service. I think a lot of people will be pleased to see these clampers go, because a lot of them are, are cowboys, aren't they, really? They, they take your car and you've got to pay 250 quid to get it back, and then plus a £50 fee, and then it's £300 a day. But will these clampers... Not that they're going to still want want to make money. Will they not just move into some sort of ticketing scam or something like that? Is that yes possible? Well, our fear is that's exactly what will happen. Right, we think the government's missed a a trick here to to make the legislation apply uh, to everybody in terms of. uh, com- compliance with a, an industry code of practice, which is what our members do, um, but it's only our members who subscribe to that. So whereas our members are providing much higher services from today because we've introduced a tougher code of practice f- for them, including this independent appeal service, it means that some um, cowboy clampers will simply move into cowboy ticketing and won't be subject to these controls. So we think that's a mistake, but we'll keep an eye on that and we'll, we'll be getting government to review it if it becomes a, a big problem for the motorists. Patrick Troy from the British Parking Association, thank you very much. To be honest, and, and some of these firms are cowboys and, you know, the, the, there are rules about having to have signs in the right place and stuff like that, but if you park where you're not meant to park, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. You always hear stories. Well, I've done phone-ins before on, on, on people getting parking tickets and, and, and clamps and stuff. They go, well, I only... Uh, I, I pulled up for two minutes and just nipped into the shop to get a, uh, some fags. Well, yeah, but you parked where you shouldn't park. It doesn't matter if you do it for two minutes or two hours. If you parked where you shouldn't park, then you should be punished, shouldn't you? Listen, I've had parking tickets. My fault. I've, I've put my hand up going, yeah, I got caught there. Never mind. Uh, 08459 455 555. Surely no one can argue with 
If you get caught parking where you're not meant to be parking, then you should be punished. That makes sense to me. Talking about Jimmy Savile, a new documentary comes out on Wednesday uh, that uh, claims that uh, several women were abused as children by Jimmy Savile. A lot of you calling in about this. Peter's in Warmer Warmer Green. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. What's your take on this, sir? Well, there are so many people... uh, So many times after people die, allegations come out against them. Now, I I believe anyone who publishes those allegations... Yes should have a measure of proof and they should be made to supply it to the estate of the dead person or the relatives of the dead person because you never recover from something like that and really and truly they should whoever publishes it should be legally legally liable if they haven't got evidence of proof yeah because well, you can diss anybody. The interesting I thing mean, is, I mean, I could call you a right-wing fascist every time to your face be, on air, and and I would be, be close. Well, no, it'd be okay. wrong, wouldn't it? Well, but the thing is, Peter, you you can libel um, uh, living people. You can't libel the dead. So you can say anything you want about the dead. Well, that's right, and that's rare, where the law's wrong. Right. Okay. But 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 what? The thing is, there, there won't be any physical proof now, will there? These things happened, well, you know, 40 years ago. then you should not be publishing it if you've got no physical proof, because that man's done a lot for charities anyway. Yeah, but... So you can't publish something you've got no proof on. Does it, you can't. Does it, but Peter, does it, does it depend on the person? Yes, he's done a lot for charity, but if these allegations are true, and I'm just hypothesising here... That doesn't. The fact he raised forty million pounds doesn't cancel the, the out that what he may may have done to young girls. No, absolutely not. But you can't say things about someone even if they're dead. Yeah. That you're going to ruin if you like their character. But what if they're true, Peter? And again, I'm. Well, what just, if they're true? What, what if they are true? Well, let me finish. It. Let me finish. What if they are true and he's ruined those women's lives? Then they surely they have a right to express themselves, don't they? Well, but you can't just say it about someone with no proof. It's like saying, oh, he murdered so-and-so and so-and-so when he was alive. It's crazy. Peter, I I tell you what, are you going to watch this documentary on Wednesday? I am going to watch the documentary, yes. Maybe we'll have a little chat Thursday morning. Yeah. Would that be okay? But I hope there's a law introduced to covering liable to a dead person. uh, Peter, that would probably be unworkable, but thank you. We'll speak to Peter on Thursday and see what he makes of the documentary. It's on Wednesday night on uh, ITV1. Just to to clarify, I don't think Jimmy Savile's been accused of murdering anybody, if you got confused by what Peter was saying there. Uh, Now, Luton Town Football Club could be buying their Kenilworth uh, Road ground from the council. In his programme notes on Saturday, Managing Director Gary Sweet said discussions with the council were underway, but it could take years. Well, Mark Chapman is from Luton Town Supporters Club. Morning, Mark. Uh, good morning. Would you welcome... I, I can tell by your jolly tone, I think, that you would welcome the club buying Kenilworth Road, wouldn't you? Um, yes, I think it will be progress in the right direction. Uh, not necessary to start Kenilworth Road, but at least it then gives them an asset that they can then use, basically, to raise finance if they are to move. How confident, confident are you that, that um, this is the right thing to do? So y- you're saying that they, they, they should buy it, but not necessarily stay there. Correct. Just use it to, to move on to somewhere even bigger and better. Correct. I think, you know, for the long-term future of the club, if the club have aspirations of getting back to somewhere near at least championship football, mm. um, then, you know, realistically we need to be able to support crowds of 20,000 plus. Now, the existing facility, much as we love it, is antiquated. Uh, it is in need of massive needs of refurbishment. And I personally can't see that there is any way they could build it up to a capacity of 20,000 mm. um, on the current site. However, um, 
I am aware that obviously, you know, if they were to acquire the site as a sitting tenant um, and then sell it on, then you, that gives you a deposit towards um, effectively the same as selling your own home. You, know, you use the sale of the existing asset to basically fund the deposit on your new home. Oh, uh, and so that's the exact the same scenario. They're getting their feet on the property ladder, aren't they? Correct. That's nice. Where would you like to see them go? Any ideas? Well, as close to this has been debated for numerous years. Let's go, but let's face it: the first proposal to move Luton Town from Kenilworth Road was back in 1955. Wow! So, <laughs> you know, it's been around for a long period of time. Um, you know, uh, it needs to be as close as possible to the existing facility and town centre, um, but it needs to have the access that the current site lacks. You know, you probably couldn't put a stadium in a worse point in Luton for when it comes to access mm. and parking. Um, and that's to the detriment of not only the football club, but the local, um, uh, you know, the, the locals in the area yeah. and everything else. Because it is just, I think both are an inconvenience to each other, and that's not to the detriment of either party. Mark, finally, I've never been to a football match before in my life. Justin Dealey, our reporter here, has threatened, uh, sorry, promised to take me to a Luton Town match. What can I expect? I'm a little bit nervous. You shouldn't be nervous. You should be looking forward to it. I'm scared of it. Isn't isn't everyone fighting each other with knives and swearing (laughs) and being racist? Isn't that what happens? I think think we can blame the um, local press for those sort of analogies. Um, I haven't seen any problems at a football match for a long, long period of time. What what, what should I look out for if I come to Luton Town? You'll be looking out for a great footballing experience. Okay. well, Mark, if I come along, we may pop along and say hello to you. No problem at all. Cheers, mate. There we go, Mark Chapman from Luton Town Supporters Club. Yeah, Justin Dealey is going to take me to... A, I've never been to a football match. He's going to take me to Luton Town. I'm terrified. I'm, I'm terrified. Not, I'm not expecting there to be lots of violence or anything like that. Just, you know, a big crowd of blokes shouting. It's not really my kind of... my kind of scene. Speaking of sports, the BBC Sports Unsung Hero Award. Among the, amid the stunning year of sports so far, the BBC has once again launched the BBC Sports Unsung Hero Award. Uh, to celebrate people working behind the scenes to make sport accessible to all. Celebrating its 10th year, the Unsung Hero Award will be given to someone who goes the extra mile to help out in local sport. There's going to be so many people to choose from. This is going to be impossible, isn't it? Well, if you know someone of any age who coaches, administers, organises clubs, or does something behind the scenes with sport, you can nominate them now. Uh, You can go to bbc.co.uk forward slash sports unsung hero. Uh, you can also um, obtain a nomination form by post by calling 08455 0845 308 8000. 0845 308 8000. Calls cost up to five pence per minute from most landlines. It might be a little bit more from a mobile. That's the BBC Sports Unsung Hero Award. Uh, still taking your uh, messages on your first CD that you bought. Uh, Paul on Twitter says, first CD I bought was Pet Shop Boys Disco. See, CD was was made for bands like the Pet Shop Boys. Clean, crisp, a little bit bland. 7.45, Monday the 1st of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Europe's golfers produced a stunning final day comeback to win the Ryder Cup at the Medina Country Club. 
A month before elections to decide the new police commissioners for Beds, Hearts and Bucks, research commissioned by the BBC, uh, Three Counties Radio, has found that just one in six of us know anything about it. In sport, in rugby's premiership, Saracens won 18-16 at previously unbeaten Harlequins, with Owen Farrell kicking six penalties. Your weather across Beds, Hearts and Bucks. It's a cloudy morning with outbreaks of rain, gradually becoming drier by the afternoon. Top temperature is 17 degrees. And coming up, it's Stoptober. It's time to quit smoking, apparently. Are you going to be encouraged by this? Or are you going to carry on puffing? Find out more in the next 15 minutes. BBC Three Counties Radio. Genuinely very excited about Beatles Day. I love the Beatles. But I think it would be nice if on this show as well, if we had very tenuous links to the Beatles. We've got some amazing stories coming up of people who saw them in concert, people who met them, people who were sat in the front row, people who did all these things. But if you've got a really tenuous link... I've got a tenuous link. Ringo Starr once swore at my dad. There we go. If you can get anything even more tenuous than that... He said, he did. It's one of my proudest moments. He told him to, to go away, in no uncertain terms. Uh, if, <laughs> if you've got a tenuous link to the Beatles... Doesn't necessarily have to involve swearing. Uh, 3CR at bbc.co.uk. And if we, maybe we'll do that on Friday. We'll, we'll, we'll throw out some tenuous ones, as well as the excellent ones we've also uh, got uh, as well. Now, talking about Jimmy Savile, more disturbing claims are being made about Jimmy Savile. In a documentary being broadcast this week, several women described uh, Savile's sexual abuse of young girls. The Childline founder, Esther Ranson, says she believes the evidence. I had absolutely decided that I would not make up my mind because he's not here to defend himself. But I must say, what these women say is so matter-of-fact. They corroborate each other. The style of the abuse and the attack on them was absolutely consistent one with each other. I'm afraid the jury isn't out anymore. Well, Kevin Keane is our reporter. Good morning, Kevin. Morning. Kevin, tell us what's being alleged. Well, the claims are that Sir Jimmy Savile, who of course died last year at the age of 84, had sexually assaulted and in one case raped underage girls during the 1970s. Now, this ITV programme contains a series of interviews from women who say that they were his victims. A woman called Fiona says she was 14 at the time she was assaulted in the presenter's Rolls-Royce car. She says she was one of a group of girls from her school who'd been invited into the vehicle by Sir Jimmy, but she said that she'd been asked to stay with him in the car at the end of the ride when all of the other girls left, and that, she said, was when the incident, the assault, took place. Another unnamed woman said that she met Sir Jimmy at the BBC as early as 1969 when she was 15 and she claims to have been indecently assaulted probably a dozen times but said that she'd been too frightened to speak about the incidents when Sir Jimmy was alive. Obviously Jimmy Savile died uh, last year. What have his family been saying? Well, they've been defending him and are quite angry about these claims coming at a time, as you say, when Sir Jimmy's not here and not able to defend himself. Uh, his nephew, Roger Foster, says that the claims could be damaging in particular to the many charities which he raised money for. He was obviously very well known for the fundraising work that he did. And he said that he was very sad and disgusted about the claims. And his niece, Amanda McKenna, says that the documentary makers should be ashamed of themselves for cashing in on a man who's dead and can't defend himself. So lots of anger from Sir Jimmy's family. Some of the assaults are alleged to have happened on BBC property. 
Yeah, that's right, and the programme features an interview with a former BBC employee, a woman called Sue Thompson, who said that she walked in on Sir Jimmy with a young teenager in a dressing room in Leeds in 1978. That was when he was presenting a regional programme there. The BBC, in response, has issued a statement saying that it's uh, conducted extensive searches of its files to establish whether there's any record of misconduct or even allegations of misconduct uh, against Sir Jimmy Savile during the time that he spent with the BBC. It says no such evidence has been found and adds that in the absence of evidence of any kind that corroborates these allegations, it's simply not possible for the corporation to take any further action. Uh, and um, this isn't the first time that claims have been made, is it? No, that's right. A complaint was made to Surrey Police in 2007, a single complaint, and there was an investigation carried out but no further action taken by the force. And the BBC's Newsnight programme had been investigating allegations, but again, no item or story was ever broadcast. The BBC, though, saying that uh, that was purely because the story that they'd been pursuing couldn't be substantiated. Kevin King, thank you very much. And you've been getting in touch on Facebook about this. If you go to facebook.com forward slash BBC, 3CR. You can leave your comments there. Trevor has written, why did they wait until he was dead? You can make any story up now and they would not be able to answer back. I could be a secret love child. I'm not, he hastens to add, but who is to say otherwise? If they'd been abused, there'd been plenty of time to pursue this before they death. Uh, and I don't know one way or the other whether this is true or not, but I guess one of the things about uh, abuse victims is the fear uh, that is inherent because, you know, there are threats, there is fear. I don't know. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Now, if you smoke, you are being encouraged to stop and join the first ever national mass quit attempt uh, attempt launched by the Department of Health. The campaign called Stoptober yeah, offers smokers a support package to quit within a month. Councillor Aslam Khan is the tobacco-free champion for Lutonborough Council. He joins me in the studio now. Good morning. Good morning. You've dressed up very smart, sir. I feel a little bit scruffy. Uh, well, I do have to go to work, and uh, this that um. It's not just morning, for yes. me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Why is this campaign different to uh, other ones that have happened? Well, um, this campaign is backed up by Department of Health, uh, Cancer Research and UK Foundation, Heart Foundation, and we are aiming to support around 840,000 smokers in the UK. Uh, we do recognise that um, giving up smoking can be difficult, mm. and so this is really designed um, and to support those smokers who want to quit. Mm. And... Um, the evidence suggests that if you st stop smoking for 28 days, you're five times more likely to stop. So it's a well-supported um, kind of campaign where you have celebrities, you have businesses, um, you have a lot of organizations who are supporting this, uh, this campaign. Um, so we want to encourage everyone um, to stop smoking but you said stop giving up smoking is, is hard work it's one of the hardest things you can do because it is an addiction what support are you giving people to help with this well um there, there's various uh, support um uh, available um you have uh, step by step um uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a pack that you get for 28 days yeah. you also have uh, motivational taxes you have celebrities who um, are your mentors who talk you through sharing their experiences in terms and encouraging you to stop that's not on a one-to-one -one. you're not going to get 
like Russell Grant come round and tell you how to this is the first celebrity I could think of what does that say about me what these are like videos and things videos absolutely okay yeah Yeah, you have uh, um, motivational taxes for example Um, you have Facebook um, Mm -hmm. that you can access there's uh, and we're using social media of course Um, so you know you can tap into a lot of resources there which are available which weren't uh, um, there before before this campaign if I was a smoker and I was on day three though Mm -hmm. of not smoking and I got a text saying hey hope it's going well, keep, don't don't light up. I would be furious. So I'd be up. I'd be right. I'm going to have a cigarette now, just despite you. There's a lot of that. It's going to be a tough thing for people to do. It, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. We do recognise that. That's why we have placed a lot of resources where you can um, either phone in, mm. uh, talk to people who have given up, yes. and they can share their experiences. They can talk about the difficulties and challenges they've had mm. uh, in terms of giving up. So it, it's really talking you through um, and and having that sort of one to one really helps and encourages you and motivates you Aslam do you smoke I did used to smoke and oh. I did I did give up absolutely how long ago did you give up um, this is almost uh, seven years oh, ago oh good for you okay, how yes. did you do it what, what technique did you use um, I, I did uh, use um, nicotine replacement therapies right. um, I also had friends who had given up so um, and, and that helps yeah. so you need to surround yourself people who either uh, have given up or don't smoke um, because if you remain in that environment um, you, it then becomes more challenging you're right I think the support for from friends and people around you is, is an excellent thing and obviously you feel much better you look like a very healthy man as a result sure so good for you that's right i mean the thing is that we need to recognize the harmful effects of of smoking um it's 90 uh, percent of lung cancer is associated mm. with smoking um it's a cause of uh, um, um health and a leading cause of health inequalities um you have um it's a leading cause of uh, miscarriages mm. infant uh, in mortality cancer so if you look at your personal health and how you you improve within within two weeks you'll start seeing these improvements you you will see your skin start getting better but counselor i've noticed in luton all of the bins have mm. got ashtrays on the top sure. that's not that's that's kind of encouraging people to smoke isn't it ban, well, ban it everywhere well you can do this you have the power ban, make luton a smoke-free town well uh, it's, um, smoke-free luton is uh, our top priority and we are aiming to do that through education educating people and making people aware of harmful harmful effects and at the same time what we are trying to do is since 1997 legislation has come in so we're trying to make sure that um, virtual places mm. uh, and also commercial drivers um, we are compliant and public places um, we we trying to reduce the facilities like you uh, explained um, which may encourage smokers very to, quickly because to I'm, I'm not a smoker and I, 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 I hate to get rid of it I think but there will be people puffing away in their vans and in their cars this morning furious furious that the council is getting involved in um, basically trying to quash people's freedoms what would you say to those people all I would say is that look at um, the, the, the well-established facts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was speaking to one of the lead uh, cardiologists and who said since the ban, there has been 35% uh, reduction in smoke-related deaths. Mm. 100 people, 200 people die in Luton every year. Wow. And so um, you need to think about your children. You need to think about your family. And smokers under the age of 18 are f- f- uh, five times more likely to take up smoking if you smoke in your homes, in your cars. Mm. So we want to make sure that, you know, we want to protect individuals 
individuals as well as the family. Councillor, let's have to move on. Councillor Aslam Khan uh, from uh, Luton Borough Council. Thank you very much. We'll uh, see how the campaign goes. Are you going to stop for October? Because uh, I know on National No Smoking Day, a lot of people smoke more cigarettes as, as kind of a, a two-fingered salute. Uh, are you going to stop? Are you going to uh, attempt to stop during October? 08459 455 555. Your tenuous Beatles links are coming in already. This is a great one from At Balcony Shirts. My friend Roy once lied to everyone at school that he owned George Harrison's Cordroy cap. Fantastic. Here comes the news now with Catherine Boyle. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we've got another hour of this nonsense yet. I can only apologise. No, no, no not apologise. Um, you're lucky to be having this gold that we're throwing at you. Coming up in the next hour, Europe's golfers have staged one of the greatest comebacks in sporting history to retain the Ryder Cup. Uh, there's a ban on clamping on private land that's been brought into force today. How much sympathy do you have for people who flout the parking rules? And the CD celebrates its 30th birthday today. Later on in the show, I'll be asking our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, what was the first CD that he ever bought. BBC Three Counties Radio. We'll be talking about more stuff with him as well. You know, I'm not going to get him in for that. We'll be talking political stuff as well, but I will ask him what is the first CD uh, that he ever bought. Now, it's going to go down in history as one of the greatest sporting comebacks ever. Yesterday in golf, Europe won the Ryder Cup on American soil after starting the final day 10-6 down. The Americans were leading 10-6 going into the 12 singles matches with Europe winning eight, including victories for Woburn's Ian Poulter and High Wycombe's Luke Donald. This was the crucial moment the team drew level to retain the trophy. It's come down to this. Five feet. Martin Keimer on the 18th green at Medina sends it on its way. And in! And in! And the cup is safely in European hands! And he leaps into the arms of his captain. And he's lifted aloft. Martin Kyber's the hero. And Europe have retained the cup. Well, there we go. Exciting stuff indeed. Now, Gordon Brand Jr. played in the Ryder Cup in the 1980s. Uh, good morning, Gordon. Morning. Is that the most exciting Ryder Cup you've ever seen? Uh, certainly, if you're watching it, it certainly was. It was unbelievable, inspirational win. The pressure must have been amazing. How, as a, a golfer who's played in the Ryder Cup, how do you cope with that kind of pressure? Oh, it's, it's, that's a tough question, that is, because you absolutely dread that the match is going to come down to you, that you could be the one that failed to bring the trophy back. But to be honest, the, all the 12 of the Europeans pitched up on Sunday where they were against some unbelievable Americans the first two days. Yeah. And I, honestly, I think it got to the Americans. When we won those first five games, I think it got to the Americans. It w- was that the turning point, do you think, at the weekend? I think the turning point was Poulter scraping a point out on Saturday afternoon. And they knew they had to win the first few games. And they did that. And then it was almost all level. And it was just a bun fight from then on. And really, we coped with the pressure far better than the Americans. Had you given up on them, uh, Gordon? Because did, did you think, yeah, do you know what, they're not going to do this. I'm, I might as well go out and enjoy the, the, the rest of the weekend out and about. Or did you always believe you, they could do it? I don't think you give up on them, but I think it was almost a bridge too far, but it will go down as one of the best comebacks ever in any form of golf. 
Final question, uh, Gordon. I'm going to put you on the spot, and I want an answer. Don't fudge this. Can you pick the the, the player that, that was the most important from Europe, please? Ian Poulter. It's a no-brainer. There Ian Poulter absolutely loves the Ryder Cup. He plays above his station every time he gets that Ryder Cup jersey on, and he is inspirational. He will go down as inspirational as Seve Ballesteros. Okay, excellent stuff, Gordon. Thank you very much, Gordon Brown Jr., who uh, has played in the Ryder Cup. A golf, a, a sport I'm struggling to understand the beauty of. I'm joined now by Paul, uh, Paul Scoins, our political reporter. Are you a fan of the golf? I, I can't do golf. Is that what? No, the I, bats and everything. Yeah, there. I think that's the technical term. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to have a go. I like the, the, the mini golf. The mini golf, I think, is awesome fun mm. for the whole family. But the, the real golf. I've played on a par three before. Apparently, that's a pitch and putt. I oh, believe. Yeah. Okay, I was terrible. Now, next month, you have uh, the chance to vote to decide who runs your local police force. Force, dear listener, they'll be called police and crime commissioners, and you probably haven't heard of them. Well, I don't blame you, because not many people have. Our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, is here, as you, you've heard. He's not very good at golf. Explain what these commissioners will be able to do, Paul. Well, Ian, they're very controversial to start with, because not everyone agrees with them. They'll have a, a great deal of influence over our policy mm. for the police, and ultimately they'll be able to appoint and to sack the chief constable um and they'll have some influence over setting the budget as well now what they won't be able to do is set the operational agenda they won't be able to go and say arrest him um but they will be able to consult with victims and what they're hoped to be able to do is bring more of the public into policing to sort of get a greater understanding of the uh, police force and mm. hold them to account a bit more um but critics are saying that's not just going to happen um Sarah Thornton, sorry, there's a clip. Uh, Sarah Thornton, who is the Chief Constable of Thames Valley Police, she explained to me about what she saw as their duties. The Police and Crime Commissioner has three main responsibilities. Um, The first one is about setting the plan and clearly establishing the priorities, and and I will need to understand what they are so we can make sure that the force follows them. Um, The second is that they uh, decide on the budget and the precept, which is the local tax, uh, clearly, again, there will be a very, I'm sure, lively conversation with them about that. And lastly, they're responsible for hiring and, if necessary, firing the chief constable. And hopefully there won't be any lively conversations about that. Well, uh, as you know, Paul, we've uh, commissioned a study, and hardly anybody has heard of this. Yeah, that's right. There's a really low understanding of, uh, of what these guys are going to do. And our figures for Beds, Hearts and Bucks from the University of Bedford show that only about 16% of people actually know that the elections are happening, and fewer still know what those commissioners will do in, in real terms. And only a third of people nationally think they're a good idea. Now, last week, the Electoral Reform Society, uh, who sort of oversee uh, elections from a sort of independent perspective, they said that the election was in danger of turning into a farce because there was a very real danger of a very low turnout. I've heard as low as 20%. Mm. Some uh, authority people, we're just going to hear from one in a second, said that that was optimistic. Um, Now, the votes are taking place on the 15th of November. You'll start seeing adverts on television about this later. Peter Conniff, who's the chair of the Beds Police Authority, which this role is effectively taking over, uh, says he's got some real concerns about the timing of the election. It seems strange to me that they chose a day to have this election when there are no other elections on. Now, had this happened next May when there are local elections, a lot of people would find their way into the polling booth because they're going there anyway to vote for their local councils. Oh, and by the way, whilst I'm here, I might as well vote on this other issue about police and crime commissioner. To expect people to turn out on a cold November day or night, particularly if there's a good football match on television, to vote for something they don't understand, I am very fearful. 
Exactly what I said earlier on. All the elections should be on the same day. Then you just go in, spend a couple of minutes, and you do it all. What do the police think about this whole setup? Well, they're also worried about that. They're worried about political influence. Um, one chief constable has actually resigned in protest over this, Chief Ooh. Constable of Gloucester. Um, there are concerns also that many of the independent candidates who will be standing, they'll be at a disadvantage because the authorities are currently a bit pretty good mix of councillors and independents mm. uh, and they say that's imp- you know important to how the police are perceived but they're so expensive to stand it's five thousand pounds just to enter excuse me yeah five thousand pounds just to enter and then you have to you have to get five percent of the vote just to get that money back so independents who don't have the foot what? soldiers that politicians yeah. do maybe are seem to be at quite a disadvantage and we've got a couple standing in our area who've said the same to me already now sarah thornton again who's the chief constable of thames valley police she says that she's very concerned about a low turnout from a police point of view. A lot of us have been concerned about low turnout. This is a police and crime commissioner. It's not just about the police force, it's about um, the and crime bit as well, which is all about the community safety partnerships, the local authorities, and I think if somebody hasn't got a, a strong mandate, it makes that sort of work a lot harder. As a professional police officer, in a way, it's quite disappointing if... Um, only a few people turn out to vote because I think policing is really important. I do like. I don't think it's happened here, but nationally, lots of the candidates have had to drop out because they had a, a conviction in 1962 or something, yeah. and it's, uh, which is fascinating. Including um, the Falklands hero guy, uh, uh, Simon late, Weston. Simon Weston. He had yeah. to drop because because he, he did something when he was 15 or something. Yeah, so he was, had to drop out. There was talk of changing that slightly. The rule is that if you've been convicted of something which carries a custodial sentence, yeah. then you can't stand. Now, there's Ridiculous. a couple of people standing in Bedfordshire actually or a couple there's a person standing in Bedfordshire who has had a conviction of a public order offence but because it wasn't a custodial Mm. sentence or because there wasn't a custodial sentence available right uh, they can still they stand can still stand that's yeah. incredible right? mm. who, who is standing around here who have well, we got yeah politicians independents you've got sort of most of the main parties except the lib dems lib dems are slightly different they don't really support it so they're not giving their candidates money to stand <laughs> okay. so if you're a lib dem you want to stand you've got to pay for it yourself right uh, as i mentioned it's a huge amount of money um in hertfordshire so far we can only find two candidates so it's a bit right. of a two-horse race although ukip could come in at the late moment uh, and there is only at the moment one or two independents around our area one in bedfordshire and possibly three in hertfordshire but we don't know them. colin in luton uh, is on the line good morning colin that's actually oh, <coughs> i do apologize are you aware of what's going on with this and uh, these police commissioners are you worried about them excited about them um i'm slightly worried about them why is um, that colin for one thing the fact that they're linked to political parties yep um I've recently had a um, 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 an information leaflet and questionnaire sent from one of the um, candidates in my area. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, who these people are. And that letter, nobody is it- really knows yes. um, what what sort of you know, people are standing. Colin, this letter that's been sent to you, it, it, it's for a candidate and it's also linked to a political party, is it? Yes. There we go. Well, th- th- that mm. does seem a little bit... 
Well, it's interesting you've oh, even had it? that because most people haven't even had that. Right. So, I mean, they are really on the back foot with this, I think. And I think in the next month you'll see more about this. Mm. I think we're actually pretty early in this because yes. uh, I think you'll start seeing the adverts on the 22nd of October. So, I think, the, I mean, what the police officer and the, um, the, 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 you know, the authority member there has said about concern about people just not knowing about it is backed up by our own figures and it's backed up by the picture naturally, I'm afraid, Ian. Paul, very quickly, what's the first CD you have bought? Ah, you know, I was thinking about this earlier on. Yeah. I think it was Mid-Your If I Was. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, oh, I'm kind of proud about it's that. It's a good, that's not bad. It's not a bad it's CD. Not, it's not brilliant, it's not bad. It's not as good as my first 7-inch, which was uh, Paul McCartney and the Frog Chorus. Thanks very much, Paul Scoynes there. Uh, now, don't forget, for the next three weeks, you can hear special programmes on uh, Monday at 6pm uh, about these police and crime commissioners, where Roberta will be putting the candidates and their policies under the spotlight. Uh, so make sure you listen uh, on Mondays at 6pm. This is uh, 8.16 on Monday the 1st of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Europe has beaten their American rivals by just one point to hold on to the Ryder Cup. Research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio suggests five out of six people have no idea uh, about the police commissioner's election set to take place next month. In sport, as England's cricketers prepare to play a vital match against host Sri Lanka in the World 2020 today, it appears Kevin Peterson is about to be welcomed back into the England fold. And coming up, it's the 30th birthday of the compact disc. What was the first CD you bought? I'll be speaking to music journalist Jonathan Wingate. BBC Three Counties Radio. Lovely to see an old friend. And I consider you an old friend. So Thank I you. I consider you old anyway. Yes. It's, it's Bill Buckley filling in for Jonathan Vernon Smith. How are you this morning, Bill? You I'm very well. I'm excited. I'm full of trepidation. It's it, they are big shoes to fill. They are Jonathan's, and I did it for a week, and I, I managed to escape unscathed. So right. I, I wish you luck. <laughs> his, list, his listeners are suspicious but friendly, so you'll be all right. <laughs> I have a question before you tell us what's happening. Yeah. 30 years of the compact disc today what was the first cd you ever bought because you, we, we're kind mm. of older people to kids it's like well i don't know it's but- nice of you to put us in the same age group thank you for that <laughs> you're welcome but i remember i bought a cd before we even had a cd player just because i wanted to have one and see it and hold it mine was a beach boys uh-huh. cd so was, was was there one where you went from vinyl to cd yeah i think i mean i i, I replaced about my favorite dozen albums right. with with cds when i first got my cd machine yep. and i think the first possibly one was uh, the winner in you, uh, Patty LaBelle. <laughs> That's a lovely record. Or it could have been whatever Paul Simon. What was the. Oh, Graceland. It could have been Graceland. Oh, or it could have been No Parley, Paul Young, possibly. Stop trying to show off and sound cool with your cool record collection. I'm not sure they're particularly cool, apart from Patty LaBelle. Yes. What, anyway. What's coming up on the show this morning? Well, um, as you've been reporting in uh, Breakfast, um, a, a local MP is uh, promoting the benefits of the British pub today. Richard Fuller, Conservative member for Bedford and Kempston, uh, says they're an important part of any community and worth fighting for. But it's, it's a losing battle that's being fought, isn't mm. it? Because uh, 12 pubs close every week across the country. Uh, so we thought we'd ask today, has the pub had its day? I mean, frankly, if, if we cared, we'd be using them and they wouldn't be closing. It's well, a bit like saying quill pens are, are lovely things and we must keep quill pen factories open. But if nobody uses a quill pen, it's not going to happen. When was the last time you went to a pub? 
when was the last time it, I went to a pub? The fact you have to ponder it, you see, that says it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was about a week ago, <laughs> and it was up in Birmingham when I had a friend over, because there's a pub in Birmingham that used to be, like, the trading hall for one of the big banks. Yeah. It has incredible high ceilings, and it's, it's a tourist attraction in itself. Yeah. And, and that's the key. I think you've got to find some kind of USP. That's the the average boozer will no longer do. On at nine o'clock? Mm. Oh, eight, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Bill Buckley filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Always a cracking listen, Bill. Thank you. Well, I shall well, speak that, to you later on. We'll see. Ta-ta. <laughs> it, it, it would be fantastic. Definitely go, definitely give him a call. And be as kind to Bill as you were when I filled in for Jonathan. <laughs> no, actually, be a little bit kinder, please, because some of you. Oh, eight, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five is the phone number if you want to give uh, Bill a call at nine. It's also the number to call me now for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> Uh, now, don't forget that the uh, Police and Crime Commissioner debate is, uh, starts today, Monday the 1st of October, because next month you'll have the chance to vote to decide who runs your local police force. Well, starting this Monday on BBC Three Counties Radio, we'll be hearing from all of the people who've said they're standing. Robert, uh, Roberto Peroni will hear all of the policies, and you can send your questions in too. Starts this Monday from 6 with Roberto Peroni on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, it's the big 3-0 for the humble CD today. The first CD players were launched in Japan on this day in 1982 and to celebrate we are asking what was the first cd that you ever ever bought jonathan wingate is a music journalist good morning jonathan nice to talk to you hi Ian. how big a deal is this it's a big deal i'm i'm looking at a house full of about ten thousand cds is that what is that your house yeah you've got ten thousand something sad like that oh it puts my 860 to shame oh you counted uh, yeah did anyone did no one ever tell you size wasn't everything here uh, uh, have you got yours in alphabetical order that's a long story <laughs> yes i did have until i split with a girlfriend and oh. then it all went into boxes oh no the bo- well listen I, I, I we moved and mine were in boxes and then i had the joyous weekend of my wife going away with the kids i spent all weekend putting them in alphabetical order but then get this jonathan then for the bands uh, in alphabetical order i put their albums in chronological order Sorry, what, why do you think that's weird? <laughs> oh, man, we've got to hang out, Jonathan. We're going to be really good friends. Ian, you and I should have been married oh, in a former life. You totally. know what's interesting about this conversation, though? Yes. It, there's a correlation between this and people's relationship with music. Yeah. Um, in terms of people's... The people's romantic relationship with music still holds true. They, human beings still want an actual um, a physical thing to hold, to interact with and to love. Well, and Jonathan, I do. TV yeah. I do, and you do, because we're of a certain age, but I'm guessing that the kids don't. It's all these MP3s and, and That's very iPods. true, but in America, 61% of, of sales last year were CDs. Were they really? It's not a dead format. It's, it's so you, Generally, people, what's disappeared is 50-pound CD man, and that's you and I, who used to go into into, into record shops um, and spend £50, mm. £100, replacing our, ostensibly replacing our record collection, which was the trick, the very clever trick of the uh, CD manufacturers, mm. the major labels, and it ultimately, you know, the band Pop Will Eat Itself. It was it was very prophetic that that band mm. name because Pop Ate Itself in the end. We all got convinced to buy our record collection twice because CDs were the future, mm. and CDs didn't turn out to be the future, and they dissipated our our um, relationship with music. So ultimately, that's why people still talk about this romantic thrill of putting an old record on. One day, people will talk about the romantic thrill of interacting with a compact disc as opposed to God, a piece will, of software as opposed to a piece of software on their computer. Be, it's, it'll, isn't it fascinating? It will be people getting excited about pressing the button.
button. I'm doing it now. Yeah. And the little drawer coming out. Yeah. And then lowering it in. You can't smell CDs, though. You, you can can't. smell vinyl. No, it's the same with books and, and download books, isn't it? It's, you, can, you can actually smell the colour of the vinyl. You can, sm- you can smell a record, can't you? Oh, yeah, totally. It's quite literally. And you can, but also, you can smell the sound of a record. And ultimately, you, you know, that's, uh, that's what CDs did. They made sounds yeah. very clear and pristine when most people didn't listen to music in a vacuum on records. Their records were scratchy and, and probably jumping around and warped, being kept by the radiator. CDs solved that problem because they gave you a pristine sound. The trouble was, in most of it, when things became too digitized, it, we, lost, we lost the vibe of the music. And ultimately, what people listening to this show love about music is the vibe that it gives them, the zone it takes them into. And that's why we love rock and roll as a good example, because that's not necessarily about perfect sound It's quality. not about the technicals. It's, no. it's about the, the, the... There is a certain uh, bagginess to the sound of a record that you don't get on a CD and you certainly don't get on an MP3 because that's no. all clipped. And, and, and that's the problem. The sound is so clipped that you people don't actually aren't experiencing music how, how it was meant to be experienced. So if you think about, I don't know, what's an audiophile experience, Pink Floyd, um, Dark Side of the Moon, the way that was meant to be heard was not how people are listening to it now on Chromium MP3 players. And and another point is the romantic link we have with with artwork, which you, you know you still have with CDs. Again, got dissipated when it, when when things got reduced from twelve inches of album to to sort of six and a half of CDs. Mm. What will happen to to all the artwork that we so love? You know, you and I would have grown up looking at yep. record cover credits because we're sad. No, well, exactly. You get, hey, listen, you get a Yes double album or a triple album, and you, you're staring at that for, for hours. You talk about the smell of records, Jonathan. I have a, 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 a monkey's record from 1969 that is sealed. It's never been opened. And one day, when uh, everything has ended, I'm going to cut that record open. I'm going to take a big, deep breath of 1969 and wow. see what it smelled like. Is that the head album? It's not the head album. That was 1968, technically. Oh, so, sorry. No. <laughs> sorry. I do apologise. Jonathan, listen, what, I've, got, I've got to ask you, what was the first CD you ever bought? That's a really good question. Um, can I say, can I reinvent history and say something cool? No, you can't. No, no, not okay. at all. No. Okay. You uh, have chir- to be honest. Okay, I think it was Chirpy Chirpy Cheep Cheep. No, it wasn't. I, think, was... I think it was... <laughs> I was uh, the Beat- I think it was Revolver by the Beatles. Oh, come on. You, you, that's the coolest album of all time. I know, but I'm the coolest music journalist oh, of all time. Well, it turns out you're Jonathan. I no, love I'm, our chats. I'm jo- by the way, I am joking. I am much more on the old chirpy chirpy cheap cheap. I'm not that cool. <laughs> Jonathan, I love our chats. We'll have to get you in one morning. Love to be there. Cheers, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. I, I, seriously, I'm, I'm going to phone my wife up. It's over. Me and him. Jonathan and I, we're, we're getting it on. Um, uh, we'll do Mary after the news. I think Mary's called in. We'll speak to her after the news because uh, we're running a little bit late because I was enjoying that chat so much. I am asking, and I think this has to be a feature on Friday, your tenuous uh, Beatles connections. Because it's Beatles Day and we're going to be celebrating the magic of the Beatles. But I'd love your tenuous Beatles connections. Uh, And someone has... uh, Paul Murray has tweeted in, My tenuous Beatles connection, my brother had the Sgt Pepper's album. Fantastic. We'll have more of those on Friday, I think. (laughs) 
The BBC embeds hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Plenty to go in the last half hour of the show before Bill Buckley fills in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Uh, including a ban on clamping on private land has been brought into force today. Our reporter Justin Dealey will be speaking to a Lee Grave man whose car was clamped outside his own garage. And the government's scheme to get everyone into a workplace pension is starting to roll out. We'll find out exactly what that means uh, for you. A couple of t- quick texts before we speak to Justin. The first CD... Oh, isn't that interesting, Vic? Uh, first CD was War of the Worlds. I've got an LP cassette and CD. We spoke to Jeff Wayne the other week. He was uh, absolutely delightful, and we're going to see if we can get him in one morning. Uh, and Jimmy Savile, um, a text on the uh, recent allegations that were made over the weekend and will be further investigated on an ITV1 documentary on Wednesday claiming that uh, he abused some young girls. Bob in Bedford is texting, I think it's disgusting and shameful for the ITV to produce a programme on Jimmy with such a damning accusation without proof and Jimmy not being here to defend himself. Innocent until proven guilty. But how can this be proven? It'll be very interesting to know how much money is made by the individuals that have come forward. They shouldn't be allowed for them to make money off the back of what can't be proved. Well, I don't think, I'm sure I read this, I don't think they've been paid for the interviews in the TV programme. So, Bob, I don't know if that changes your opinion on the story at all. Now, a ban on clamping on private land has been brought into force today. It's one of a raft of new measures in the Protection of Freedoms Act. It also prohibits towing away from private land and brings in a new independent appeals service. Well, Tony Biggs from Lee Grave was on the JVS show because his car kept getting clamped outside his own garage. A reporter, Justin Dealey, uh, is at his house. Now, Justin, this sounds crazy. It was, I have to say, and I came to this story about 18 months ago. Yeah. Um, I've reported on many stories at BBC Three Counties Radio. This was quite simply one of the most bizarre that I've ever seen. Just to kind of uh, sum this up for you, I'm in Lee Grave. It's on Morgan Close. I'm with Tony this morning. Now, outside Tony's house, you've got a shared driveway access, and there you've got three garages. So, Tony parked outside his garage, and his his car was clamped and then towed away. And you're probably thinking, Ian, well, how on earth does this work? How can you be clamped for parking outside I'm your own house? I'm scratching my head at yes. this. This is ridiculous. It's very strange. You see, what happened was Tony's next-door neighbour decided to put up some signs outside our property saying this is private land and you will be clamped. Well, it's shared access. So... What happened then, there were some white lines which were painted on the shared access. Tony parked outside his garage, his car was clamped and then towed away. So the issue is over who actually owns that land. Incredible, isn't it? I, that, that's amazing. So she, the woman owned, uh, owned a, a garage and she put a sign up saying, you can't park anywhere near here, I own all of this. Yes, exactly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's oh, just yeah. incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So um, thankfully for Tony, Tony's with me right now, thankfully, Tony, she has moved out, but, but you were clamped, you were towed. How much money did this cost you in the end? In total, about £1,000. £1,000? It's clamping and um, retrieving a vehicle after being towed away to Uxbridge. And you went to the council and they basically turned you away, didn't they? Yeah, they, because it's private property, they say they can't get involved with it. Neither can the police. I mean, how did that make you feel? Because I, I tried to explain it to Ian there. I'm sure our listeners are, are scratching their heads as well. You're getting fined £1,000 to park outside your own house, which is shared access. How did that make you feel? We can't really put it into words. Anger is just not sufficient to say. But it's annoying, mm. very annoying. You go to bed overnight, you look out. You look out first thing of the morning to see if the vehicle is still there or not. So you're living on tender basically. 
I mean, thankfully for your sake, she has moved out. But um, what's your thoughts on the law? The law, of course, is changing today, so no clamping on private property. However, of course, you can still have ticketing. So do you think it will make any difference at all, this change in the law? I don't think so, really, because there are a lot of um, clamping companies, they don't want to lose out their revenue. So they're going to find other means by which they can actually still retrieve and make money out of the business they're in. Mm. Yeah, I presume it was the worst period of your life, wasn't it, what happened here? Well, it is. It's been ongoing for the last five, six years, and it's just devastating, really and truly devastating. Mm. Thankfully, though, it's all in the past now. Tony, thank you very much indeed for your time. There you go. That's uh, Tony Biggs joining us live wow. from his home here in Leegrave. I mean, Ian, it is just incredible to think that can happen. But as Tony was saying there, the law, of course, is changing. I think earlier on we all thought, great, the law's changing, but, of course, you can still receive a ticket. So will it make any difference? I don't know. Only these, time will tell. These cowboys will just go and, go and start handing out tickets. The mm. thing is, Justin, now I have great sympathy for t- Tony because he's done nothing wrong. He's parking outside his garage. Yeah. But I, I do think if you park somewhere where you're not meant to park and you get a ticket or you get a clamp it's tough no no isn't it it's tough luck you shouldn't have done it (laughs) well i heard you earlier on say about this and i I have to say i do agree i've been clamped before i've had various tickets before and it's cost me a lot of money but if i've parked on double yellow lines and i've nipped out to get a newspaper well you know what what do you expect if you come out and get a clamp but but i think you'll agree with this story i think you'll have every sympathy for tony completely i don't think every story though involves your car being clamped on your own land they of course i'm sure are a few and far between we should we should do a, a, a Neighbours from Hell story, show because they're always fascinating stories and mm. it just sounds like a nightmare. Justin, before I let you go, it's yes. the 30th uh, birthday of the compact disc oh, yes. today. What was the first CD you ever bought? Well, the first CD I was given was Breathe and uh, they had a, a big hit which is uh, ideal for today. Monday Morning Blues, 1980s group. Uh, but the first compilation CD I ever bought, and you yeah. mentioned this earlier on, it was a big, big thing because I'd bought vinyl for years, yep. I'd been out on discos. So buying a CD, I felt a bit strange. Yeah. Yeah, a special yeah. occasion. So I bought this CD player and I bought a compilation CD for nine ninety nine called Get On This. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Get On This! Which featured lots of acts including Cold Cup. We've all heard of Coldplay, but Cold Cup, Technotronic and Snap. It was <laughs> absolutely dreadful. Yes. <laughs> well, Justin, uh, Get On This. Thank you very much. Thank you. There we go. Justin Dillian is uh, his first ever record. Now, uh, we were talking about uh, the, the, this changes in the police system that mean you're going to be able to vote for who's in charge of your local police. Turns out, hardly any of you know about this. Mary's in Hemel. Good morning, Mary. Uh, good morning, Ian. As well, far as I'm concerned, this whole thing is corrupt. Why is that? Because there are political parties are rep- have representatives. John Prescott's representing Labour. The police should be completely non-political. Because there's going to be prejudice come out, isn't there? But, but surely, if anyone is in charge, and by the way, we're not suggesting for a second that John Prescott is corrupt, but if anybody's in charge, they're just going to want the best for the community, aren't they? Oh, yeah, like all our MPs want the best for the community. No, I'm afraid it's a case of uh, back-scratching, I'm sorry. They're just, it just, just, just should not have politicians running the police. They should be outside of it. Uh, and, uh, well, who should be running the police? Well, I would have thought, funnily enough, people like, funnily enough, Simon Weston and people like that that have been kicked out for the most ridiculous little okay. reasons. I mean... But with the greatest of respect, Simon Weston, of course, is, is, is a Falklands hero, is a legend, but why would he be any better at being in charge of a police force than John Prescott? Because he's ex-military, that's why, and he knows about discipline and things like this. But not only Simon Weston, people who really have worked their way 
up through the ranks and become like uh, top policemen, not ones that have got walked into the job with a graduation degree, mm. people who have worked their way up, who know the system inside and out, and who are non-political. Mary, thank you very much for that. I'll wait 459 555. Now, the Emergency Medical Centre at Wickham Hospital in Buckinghamshire closes today. I know this hospital very well. In its place will be a new minor injuries and illness unit. But there are fears local people needing treatment will have to travel miles, which is both costly and inconvenient. One family who suffered the consequences of a hospital closing is the Debonairs. When Royston Hospital shut down, Graham's dad was initially sent to Addybrooks in Cambridgeshire. He then had to be transferred to his local one in Hertfordshire, which happens to be in Welling Garden City. But it adds an extra hour onto his journey, uh, as, uh, as we found out earlier on in the show, if you were listening. Well, aside from having, uh, no longer having an emergency medical centre at Wickham Hospital, there are also concerns as to what constitutes a minor injury. What you, can you go with and what can't you go with? Well, to help us out, we've got Dr uh, Jeff Payne on the line, who's Medical Director for NHS in Buckinghamshire. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning. So I'm confused. What kind of injuries will be treated? And if I turned up with something that was too severe, would I be turned away? Um, you certainly wouldn't wouldn't be turned turned away. No. Um, t- I mean, to answer your question, it, it's the sort of uh, cuts and bruises, sprains and strains, bites and stings, scalds, minor burns. No one does uh, anyone really go to a hospital with a, like a sprain or a sting? Oh, absolutely. Do yeah. Really? Uh, yes. We oh we would gosh. we would actually rather prefer them to, to take advice either from NHS Direct or their, their community pharmacy or their GP but, but actually people do turn up to hospital oh with, those, with those sorts of minor things but uh, really the, the, the main difference I think for the uh, minor Ill- illness, minor injury unit at Wickham as opposed to the EMC is that the seriously ill and the seriously injured patients typically brought there by ambulance will instead be taken to either Stoke Mandeville or to Wexham Park Hospital. So it, it doesn't actually rely on patients knowing where right. to go with what condition. W- will these? Will it add any extra time? Will it put lives at risk, I guess, is the question. No, it won't put ri- uh, lives at risk. And it, Indeed, the, the whole reason for the changes that we're bringing about really is to improve safety, to improve outcomes for patients. Um, so that helps to ensure that patients get treated in the right place uh, for their condition. Uh, and we have been working very closely with the ambulance service so, so they know exactly where to take patients uh, with any given emergency condition. It's interesting you say that because we, we have heard uh, issues and I've, I've experienced it as well. The, the, the communication between hospitals isn't always great. I, is that going to improve? Um, that's something, again, we've worked on and also communication between the ambulance mm. and, and their excellent paramedics and the hospital so that if, if there is any, any doubt as to where the best place to take a patient is, they can actually ask the hospital. Uh, that's a very important uh, safety point. Is it going to be a 24-hour service? Absolutely. Uh, during the consultation uh, exercise we went through earlier in the year, very important to the local population that it was a 24-hour 7 service um, and that's what we're going to provide. And what's been done to make local people aware of this? Um, we have actually done a, a leaflet uh, drop uh, in the Wickham area explaining uh, the new unit, explaining the alternatives for those more minor things we started talking about um, and giving some general, general advice as well. Um, I've got to go back to it. I'm, I'm yeah. amazed. Are you seriously telling me that someone would go to a hospital <laughs> who's been stung by a bee? Um, absolutely. Clearly, for some people, that, that can actually be a life-threatening uh, of course, emergency. Of course it can. Uh, if they're allergic. But we do see people with really very minor things. Um, and that's uh, a, a significant concern because how, that's significant cost for the health service. How do you as a doctor, you must get furious at that. 
Um, well, part of what we're trying to do with the new unit is actually encourage people to make more appropriate use yeah. of the health service in the future. So for unregistered, um, that is patients who are not registered with the GP, will actively help them to register with the GP. Uh, some patients we may actually turn away if it really is such a minor thing Good that they you. could go to the local pharmacy and get some help. That's what we'll tell them to do. Good so you. I think it's time for us to be just a little bit, bit assertive so oh. that... You know, the the health service is there for the people who who need it, and and those are the ones we need to focus on. Dr. Jeff Payne, thank you very much. Medical Director for NHS in Buckinghamshire. I'm amazed by that. Yeah, of course, if if you're allergic to bee stings, then they can be fatal. You know pretty quickly if you're allergic to a bee sting, though. Wow. find that absolutely amazing. Uh, We have been talking about uh, compact discs as well this morning because uh, it's the 30th birthday of the compact discs. Ian, CDs are rubbish. Vinyl forever. Mike, uh, I do like my records, but my first CD was Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits' Peter Milton Keynes. Um, I, I think that was for a lot of people as well. The first million-selling compact disc, I think. And Barrel and Hem- Barry and Hemel says, My tenuous Beatles connections, I know someone who once bought one of their records. Fantastic. More of those on Friday. 8.46, Monday the 1st of October. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Europe's golfers are celebrating one of the most remarkable victories in the 85-year history of the Ryder Cup after beating the US by just one point. Research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio suggests that five out of six people have no idea about the police commissioner elections set to take place next month. In sport, as England's cricketers prepare to play uh, play host Sri Lanka in the World 2020 this afternoon, it appears Kevin Peterson is about to be welcomed back into the England setup. Your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. It's a cloudy morning with outbreaks of rain, gradually becoming drier by the afternoon. Top temperature, 17 degrees. And coming up, pensions. Have you got one? From now on, you could get one automatically. Find out next. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, if you don't already have a workplace pension, you could find yourself with one soon, because today the government's scheme to get everyone into a workplace pension starts to roll out. Auto-enrolment requires all employers eventually to enrol their workers into a scheme if they're not already in one. Figures obtained by three counties show a dramatic fall in the number of people having a workplace pension since 2007. Only a quarter of people under 30 have an employer pension they contribute to. Well, Rory Joseph is a pensions uh, expert from Hertfordshire-based JLM Independent Wealth Management. Good morning, Rory. Morning. Uh, These changes start today. Yeah. Does that mean that from today everyone will automatically be paying into a pension is it immediate um no right um it's starting today for the very largest employers in the uk so probably tesco's sainsbury's morrison's those kind of companies Mm. and it's slowly trickling down through the rest of us and the process finishes in 2017 for current businesses supposing i employed like one person as my pa would i would i have to put some of their money into a as of 2017 yes i don't by the way i I don't (laughs) have a pa but i'm just checking okay People will be enrolled automatically. Yeah. It's an opt-out system, isn't it? It is, yes. And is that easy to opt out? How do you do that? It's fairly easy. You effectively inform your employer that you want to opt out. As long as you do it in the first 30 days, I think it is, of joining, then you get back any money you've paid in. Right. You can go back in again. Right. Um... 
and you have, in a sense, two goes at it. If you then choose to opt out yet again, then it's down to your employer as to whether they'll let you back in a third time. Oh, really? Yes. They can be a little bit... Absolutely, because they're contributing towards it. So right. I guess the, the take on it is that an employer doesn't want to constantly be putting money in, then stopping them, putting money in, then stopping. Right. So what, what... Don't bore us too much with numbers, but what are the figures? How much does the employee put in? How much does the employer put in? It's phased. So as of today, 1% each, the employer's bit is going to go up to three percent the employee's bit is going to go up to four percent and then the employee gets tax relief on their bit so the total's eight percent going in but that's only going to be kicking in around about 2016 so it's going to kind of slowly oh, step up i know <laughs> See, got, was got that <laughs> no it was easy but i'm an idiot <clears throat> i've got an accountant i've got a pension i'm not paid anything in this year it's been a quiet year but uh, i've had the tax relief explained to me and it's like well if you put in 600 pounds you get I d- i've got no idea how many of it i think that's the problem with pensions is that people i've had explained to me by very intelligent people yourself included i still don't get it and i think that's the problem is that most people will go well hang on i've got to pay uh, it's money that i'm earning that i don't see yeah it's it is frankly too complicated i mean the the kick-in mark is at eight thousand one hundred and something pounds Brilliant. if you earn less than that you know um you contribute up to your earnings to 42 and a bit thousand it's kind of tacked it tied into the tax thresholds new zealand brought out a very similar scheme about five years ago mm. called kiwi save and it was a very very straightforward scheme which is it was in or it was out there was one place where you met your money went into you took it with you for the rest of your life and frankly as we often do in the uk we've made things slightly more complicated perhaps than they need to be is it going to be worth it though if four percent doesn't sound like much better than zero though but not much better than zero no but i mean if you will, think- you, will you be able to su- survive in your old age let's assume let's assume that, that, that at some point in the future uh the, the, the age of retirement becomes 70 Will you be able to live for the next 20, 30 years on that tiny little bit you've put in? Unfortunately, the whole idea of this is that something's better than nothing. Right. Um, I mean, to give you a slightly silly example, if someone at age 20 started putting away £200 a month and it got invested in a decent pension, stopped at 40 because they, you know, family was getting older and they had higher yep. goings, by the time they were 65, they'd have about a million quid sitting in a pot. What? Yep. What? <laughs> But the thing is, you said that the, an interesting thing there, if they put it in a good pension, yeah. there's no such thing as a good pension. It's all hit and miss. It, it's like going to the casino, isn't it? Going, um, put it all on black. Because it, it's all hit and miss. It, it is. The difficulty is most people treat their c- pension just like you say. They put it all on black, one, sh- one spin of the wheel, that's it done. Yeah. If a sensible attitude is effectively to go to the casino with a much smaller stake every month and put a tiny bit on it. <laughs> <laughs> the spread bed. You want to do the spread bed. And effectively, that's what you're doing, is as long as you keep an eye on it, you can kind of iron out some of the crazy up and downs. When I went for my pension assessment, they, they kind of like get you to fill in a, a, the, the questionnaire to, to decide how much of a risk taker yep. you are. Uh, and uh, he said to me, I've never seen anyone who's, who, who doesn't want to take any risks. I was like in the lowest category. I'm not, I, I don't want to risk any of my money. I d- the difficulty is it's the old risk and reward thing. Yep. You're not going to get anything back. No. Nope. You don't take any risks so frankly stick it under your bed yeah 
um, then you've just got a risk of being burgled. But that's about it. Um, going back to this, this, this uh, yeah. system that's being changed today, uh, I, it's great because I love doing this job because I just use the guests <laughs> to, fight, to, to get free <laughs> advice for me. It's wonderful. Uh, th- th- this is for permanent employees. What about people who've got a six-month or a nine-month or a 12-month contract? The rules are, frankly, constantly fuzzy. Right, so they okay. keep being shifted around. Um, to a great extent, it's great for everybody that these big companies are, in a sense, going to have to experience all the teething pro- problems. Mm. And the idea is that employees, if they're on a regular contract, will be able to join. The self-employed will be able to set up their own auto-enrollment schemes for themselves, if they wish. Right. Um, and the main advantage of that is most of these schemes have got very kind of uh, fixed fees and fixed charges, which are fairly cheap. Mm. So that's the appeal of them. So the idea is, yes, they are for everybody, but the people who are being auto-enrolled have to tick a couple of basic boxes. Yeah, let's have, uh, talking pounds, if someone's earning £20,000 a year, yep. how much money are they going to lose per year? No, it's not lose, but how much less will they take home per year? Okay, so to start off with, if I work for a big supermarket today, I'm going to lose 1% of my wages as of today. Yep. So that's about 200 quid a year, and that's going to slowly step up to 800. Okay. It doesn't seem that... It's not... I mean, this big. is the difficulty with pensions, is somebody putting £800 a, a year away is not an awful lot of money. Mm. But you know what? It's a lot better than what most people are doing at the moment, which is nil. Again, I was told 15% minimum. 15% would give you a a really good pension. pension. The employees, no, employers, uh, they're going to have to find extra money. Where does that come from? Does the government help them or is it coming out of their pocket? Coming out of their pockets. And uh, I have to say quite a few of the companies we're dealing with now who are a good three years off needing to get into a scheme are thinking about starting something up now so they can ease themselves into it. Because they, they, they won't be happy about that, will they? Forking out more cash. Well, you know, if you've got, if you're a small business with, say, 10 employees mm. earning an average of £20,000, you're putting in, in total, 3% of each of their wages. Mm. That adds up to an awful lot of money, straight off your bottom line. Yeah. Is this being brought in because in 30 years' time we're not going to have state pensions? Is, are we being geared up for that? Uh, the government say no. I think it's a distinct possibility. Really? That's terrifying if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, the, the difficulty we've got at the moment is a lot of our pensions are means-tested, so consequently a lot of the benefits you get when you're retired are means-tested. Now, the big worry at the moment is people are saying, well, I'm being forced into contributing to this pension scheme. Am I actually basically then going to lose stuff mm. that the state would give me otherwise? If you look at most other countries who've got auto-enrolment, they have a set pension, a bit like the universal pension they're talking about bringing in the UK. If that comes along, that's a lot more cut and dry because everybody gets that regardless, and if you build up some extra through auto-enrolment or whatever, that's on top. I always get so anxious when we talk about pensions because it makes me think, God, I'm I'm so not in a position to be an old man uh, uh, rory thank you so much for coming My in pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. you explained it excellently rory joseph there is a pensions uh, expert from hertfordshire based jlm independent wealth management thank you very much now uh, we were talking about uh, the hospital in wickham where it's the emergency department is closing down and it's going to be for like cuts and sprains and stings and things like that cynthia is in high wickham good morning cynthia good morning are, are you going to mourn the the change of function of this hospital well, I think it's a disgrace, actually. Why is that? Well, we've got the major motorway, the Handy Cross, which is hell at Handy Cross. And, you know, we've got two football clubs. And me, personally, you know, I've had a um, brain hemorrhage. Wow. And if anything happens to me, I can't go to Wickham Hospital. I'm going to have to travel to Stoke Church or to Stoke Mandeville. How much longer would that add to your journey, do you think? It's going to be 
much longer. It's going to be about half an hour. See, that could is, that's potentially yeah. life threatening, isn't it? Of it course. is. But if you got if you get a bee sting, Cynthia, you're sorted. Oh no, no, no! I wouldn't go for a bee sting <laughs> or spray. <laughs> to Can me, you believe people do that. I, th- I was so shocked by that. Yeah, only if you've got an allergy to yeah. the bee, that makes sense. But you know, no, I wouldn't go for what they're saying. To so, me, it's just like a GP. Cynthia, when you, when when you got ill, what what happened? How quickly did did you become ill and and and, and realise that you were in a serious situation? I didn't. I thought I had a bad migraine and I was laying down for three days and luckily I had a very good doctor when I went on the third day and he could see there was something wrong with me but I didn't have all the correct symptoms but his gut instinct said I had something wrong and I ended up at Wickham but then I ended up at the John Radcliffe because I went to Wickham on the Wednesday, ended up at the John Radcliffe on the Thursday and they saw, you know... I had a major bleed, and I was operated on the Friday. Wow, that's quick. And and, and is everything fine now? You, you, you're all well and good? Yes, nobody believes that I've had a brain hemorrhage, and this was May 2006. Uh, all I've been left, I'm a bit slower, that's all, but I haven't been left with any disability other, otherwise, which is very lucky for me. Sorry, I've got 30 seconds, I'm fascinated. Do you, and do you notice that you're slower, or, or are you functioning at normal speed in, in your head? I'm thinking at normal speed in my head, but I get tired quickly, right. that's okay. all. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for calling that's up right. and and I, I wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you very much. What a nice lady. There's a story, isn't there? There's a story to end on. Wow. Someone very upset that uh, the High Wickham, the hospital in uh, Wickham, is uh, losing its A&E department. Thank you, Sophie. That's it. The end of the show. Back tomorrow at six o'clock. Plenty more stuff. Do stick around, though, after nine. Jonathan's on holiday, of course. He always is. It's the wonderful Bill Buckley. Have a good one, Bill. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Ian. Yeah. Uh, can- Hearts and Bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, it's Bill Buckley in for JBS.